The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week, we're joined by an activist with Jews Against White Supremacy to learn about the organization's work in showing solidarity with Palestine and how Zionism is incompatible with the Jewish faith. Also, the British government wants to be able to call anyone they don't like an extremist. Palestine action is popping up everywhere and updates on strike actions in the U.S. But first... Mule only had enough time to send this message before destroying his microphone. You know, uh, I really, you really got to hand it to like liberal media and recuperation. You when, sure? Um, oh no, you do in this in this particular in this particular case because you know at the end of the day there are there are there are hundreds of thousands of people right now all over the UK celebrating the fact that there wasn't a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> and and the funniest thing about that is that. It wouldn't have even been a good revolution because he was a weird Catholic, I don't know, uh, 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 what do they call it? What was Guy Fawkes? He was some kind of Luddite uh-huh. something? I don't know. Anyway, a he was a wrong he was, Wasn't he like a, a monarchist Catholic dude or something like that? He was like, yes. there should be more more Christianity and kings or some shit like that. that <laughs> he is- was like anti-parliament because he was like, less, less freedoms, less democracy. Literally. There are various things to like or dislike about Bonfire Night. Um, sometimes the firework sounds are too loud for me. But uh, as someone who's like frequently sad when I see um, when I see the just missing cat or dog posters around, the PSAs that go around that are like, please check there aren't hedgehogs inside your bonfire before you light them, just absolutely break my heart. Like that's the worst imaginable thing. Yeah, I can see it's getting to Kira as well. It's so sad. Yeah. Hey, it is welcome. actually. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the the Britophobia stream. We're here to undermine Britain and all of its cultural institutions and uh, traditions. So, uh, welcome to Red Planet. And Tim, what was the most based thing you did this week? So, um, the most based thing I did this week was actually news to myself too, because um, unfortunately I couldn't make it to the pro Palestine rally this weekend because of just like you know, like work stuff and all that kind of thing. But um, I had a bunch of people messaging me saying, hey, we saw you at the rally. Uh, you know, like, all this kind of stuff. People saying like, you know, like, oh, you were just, you were a little bit far away though, so we couldn't get up and talk to you. Um, and it wasn't me. In fact, it was my brother, my twin brother. Um, this may be news to some Red Planeteers, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I got an identical twin brother. He's actually the one that does some of the music that plays before the stream starts. Anglophobic nosebleed. Um, yeah, Great name. That's, that's my twin brother. Again, it, this is the Britophobic stream, so that's why we're entirely on brand. <laughs> yeah, anglophobic. Yeah, no. So um, yeah, so the most base thing I did was actually. Um, not even me. It was someone else <laughs> did it for me. So, you know, phoning in this one. <laughs> but um, what about what about you, Kara? What did you get up to this week? Uh, this week, I did a few things. Um, I went to a Palestinian movie screening 
we watched the movie by this like local anarchist group. The movie was called One One More Jump. It was a it's a movie, uh, apparently a documentary about these Gazan teens that do like parkour. Just basically like it showed what kind of life is like in Gaza. It was pretty powerful and it was also really cool to get out and actually get to meet some IRL organizers and introduce myself because I've been meaning to do this for ages. And so I'm glad to finally have a have a kick in my ass to finally get out there and do it. And I also uh, yesterday went to another pro-Palestine protest where we protested uh, with the uh, Palestinians at Northwestern University. Uh, we did a a big protest in Evanston. And then we also took the protest like through a super rich neighborhood and then ended up in front of the house of the president of the university, Michael Schill, um, who actually has been like really, really awful in like not protecting the Palestinian students at the university, like going to the Israeli visual vigil, but not the Palestinian vigil, condemning Hamas and calling them inhuman. And then also, you know, talking about all the Israeli casualties uh, you know, the the regular run-of-the-mill Zionist garbage. And so we stood outside his house and um, were yelling at him for some time. So, and it was, this is a really big house, by the way. Mansion. This man lives in a mansion. So in case you're wondering. And near the end, the cops started getting all uppity because a uh, few of us were still chanting and apparently our permit was over and free speech time is is done. And I noticed, and the person I was with also noticed that the cops were only going up to like brown people and harassing brown people and giving them the eye. And so I tried to do what I could because I saw them harassing. So I ran up and I was like, I took my phone and got my camera out. And I was just like very trying to be very, like very much physically in the space as a white person, like a white sorority girl who is probably not typically the people that they're trying to target. And also with like, hey, I'm a sorority girl with a camera out. You know, all the implications that come along with that. Um, and luckily the cops backed off, but they they piled in like there was like 10 of us near the end just yelling ceasefire now. And then like 25 cops showed up and they're all just sitting there with their whole like when they put their thumbs in a little vest, just like doing this and just they kept rolling up. There's just nothing better to do. I hate cops. In case you're wondering. I know recently the thing about the, the thumbs in the vest is really bad practice because like it creates an air gap and those are stab proof vests and they're supposed to work by like having pressure against the chest and redistributing the impact so they're actually like just i'm sure it's a relief i'm sure the straps are weighing down on them and they're just doing it like but they they, they do it as if it's like a standard procedure thing that is is good and has your hands ready or some shit like this but it it's not it's just to be comfy and it's also making their armor not work <laughs> anyways yeah so those are the things i did um also argued with zinus and also i wanted to announce that if you're on blue sky and you follow me i am now creating in um a zinus scum mute list in which i find all the zinus that are doing zinus stuff on blue sky and i add them to the list um if you want to subscribe to that list it's an ongoing list that i keep adding zinus to uh, please go to my blue sky. It's kirachats.bsky.social. And you can go to the list tab and subscribe on there. And um, if you have any suggestions for people you want me to add, please let me know. Just tag me and I'll add them. Um, you know, so long as they are Zionists, I always check beforehand. And um, let's just snuff out the Zionist narrative as much as we can, because that we, we so many Zionists are being paid by israel to literally go like literally being paid by israel getting scholarships uh reimbursed um if they go online and go on social media and save state propaganda also there's many influencers like outside of israel that are being paid 
And there's also just Zionists, period, that are not being paid, but just love the genocide. So um, if you want to help to snuff out that narrative, please, you know, follow, subscribe to that list. It's free to subscribe in case you're wondering. The word subscribe sounds like it's paid, but it's a free thing. So anyways, my sweet Sophie, what were you up to this week? Um, My week was pretty similar to last week, which... um... My most based thing last week was uh, was also caring for partners, but um, yeah, it's just it's just the same week I've had really. One of my girlfriends has had a month signed off work because of depression, gotten like a, a doctor's sick note to like fully just like take take time and recover. And then another of my girlfriends, who's also her girlfriend, uh, was hanging out with her, and I popped by and cooked them both lunch. And just like you know, it's um sometimes it's a quiet week, and the most based thing you do do is just like cook cook a meal, and uh, it was nice. A reminder that we want to know what based things you've been doing. You can message us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or send an email to based at redplanetshow.com. Include your name and pronouns if you're cool with that, and we may shout it out in a later episode. Tim, could you possibly tell us about this first piece? Yeah, okay. United Auto Workers secure tentative agreement with General Motors. So the United Auto Workers, so that's a UAW, have reached a tentative agreement with General Motors, which if ratified by members would end the six-week strike action taken against the car manufacturers. The new contract would incrementally grant 25% base wage increases through April 2028, and starting wage increases of 70%. These increases will apply to both hourly and salaried workers, the later of which have not received equivalent pay rises since first organizing in 1990. That's like, yeah, like like 30, 33 years. Uh, The agreement also eliminates several wage tiers harmful to newer employees who have uh, often been forced to find secondary employment to support themselves and provides additional retirement benefits, including payments to retirees and surviving spouses for the first time in over 15 years. Additionally, the new terms restore several benefits lost during the Great Recession, including cost of living allowances and a three-year wage progression, allows employees at key battery manufacturing plants to be included in the contract, and gives workers a right to strike over plant closures. The agreement with GM is similar to deals struck with Stellantis and Ford Motor Company. Union members will be voting on whether or not to ratify the new contract in the next few weeks. So, um, yeah, I think we covered the UAW strike the other week. But, um, yeah, a little update there. It is pretty great to see across all industries at the moment a lot of these big strikes uh, happening. And I hope, yeah. Can I hope the best for them? It uh, it seems like it's pretty huge, right? Starting wage increases of seventy percent, and even like twenty five percent base wage increases through April twenty twenty eight. Like that's pretty huge. Um, even like I think a lot of the um, like retirement benefits and stuff are going to be things that we're going to see people striking for a lot more um these days. When even like globally the average age of renters is getting higher and higher and like there's a lot of people that are retiring now that you know historically they might have retired into a home that they had paid off over their life of working whereas like now that's just not happening and there's a lot of a lot of um elderly people that are renters and um obviously there's a lot of stuff going on with like you know tenants unions and things like that like a lot of the stuff that mule is very heavily uh engaged with but um I think a lot of this stuff uh, actually going to the, you know, like the industries that people are employed in for their entire lives before that point, I think is going to be a huge thing as well. 
So, um, yeah, that's um, that's interesting. We'll see how that develops over the next couple of weeks as they vote on the new contract. How about Sophie? Why don't you uh, tell us about uh, this next one here? Yeah, sure. I mean, I love hearing about uh, big union wins always. Mm. Uh, much, much less love hearing about the UK government, but unfortunately, that's what I've got for you. Uh, the British government proposes new legislation to define anyone, quote, undermining Britain as an extremist. The government, specifically staff working for Michael Gove, the Secretary of State for Leveling Up, that's his real title. I'm so embarrassed and ashamed of this country all the time. Uh, have drafted legislation that would define anyone who is, let's see what the exact wording is, undermining the country's institutions and its values as an extremist. Since the beginning of the show, we've been talking about the ways that the state will try and crack down on political protest and political expression, and how this will only lead to more people wanting to, uh, you know, push for the most that they can achieve for the, you know, if every political act that disagrees with the government is illegal, then it really becomes a sort of like how much political expression can you buy with your with your sentencing kind of thing, right? If people are gonna, if you're gonna get some number, some amount of time in jail because you, I don't know, undermined the BBC or whatever, whatever that means, then you, you'll you want to do the, the most that you can for that amount of time, right? So this is just really foolish. As The Guardian has pointed out, the proposals have provoked a furious response from civil rights groups, with some warning it risks criminalizing dissent and would significantly suppress freedom of expression. One Whitehall official said the concern is that this is a crackdown on freedom of speech, the definition is too broad, and will capture legitimate organizations and individuals. Amnesty International, specifically Ilyas Nadgi, uh, Nagdi Amnesty International's UK racial justice director said this definition must not be accepted or implemented. The definition of extremism and its usage in counterterrorism policies like counterterrorism strategy prevent is already being applied so broadly it seeks to effectively hinder people from organizing and mobilizing. Uh, yes, it does. That's exactly the point. Uh, the proposed definition takes this even further and could criminalize any dissent. Again, I'll say, you know, th- is the view of the show that this can only lead to more extreme dissent and also uh, more organized dissent because people understand that there is safety in numbers. The state, once again, bringing about its own demise. Uh, the Guardian again here. Uh, last week, the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, described pro-Palestinian demonstrations in London as hate marches, prompting dismay from many participants who consider themselves peace campaigners. Saturday, during the pro- pro-Palestinian march, thousands assembled is what the guardian has said they are incorrect it was hundreds of thousands it was half a million in london's london's trafalgar square with 11 arrests made there is a significant concern among some officials because they take the the they consider the broader definition could be used against legitimate organizations fiercely opposed to certain government institutions or calling for their abolition they are i mean uh, many guests we've had on the show spring to mind they are concerned uh, a wider range of individuals could be no platformed or reported as suspected extremists in official files a government spokesperson said i actually don't care what a government spokesperson says they're tories and they're fascists so it's tim again (laughs) do you want to tell us about palestine action yeah so friends of the show Palestine action have been ramping up their actions in the face of genocide. In the UK on November 2nd, which was the 106th anniversary of the Balfour Declaration, um, activists from Palestine Action uh, targeted Britain's foreign office and are currently occupying the weapons firm Leonardo at their London HQ. Leonardo's London offices have been covered in red paint to symbolize the Palestinian bloodshed by their weaponry. Whilst one activist remains on top of the company's front overhang, elsewhere the foreign office in London was sprayed in messages including Britain guilty and fuck Balfour. Um, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if 
the activist is still up there, by the way, but um, in the articles I saw, uh, they still were. They've been doing this every year for a while. So this isn't actually a new thing, but it just happens that, you know, like with the current thing going on, like um, they normally paint the entire thing with this red paint they spray paint messages and stuff so it obviously has um you know their messages have been updated for the current conflict so the Belfort declaration is actually the the declaration that officially kind of signed off that the land that you know is palestine was to be given to um you know the the colonial project of zionism which became you know the state of israel um which the position of the people of Palestine and, you know, like a lot of other people is that Britain never had a right to do this in the first place. You know, uh, it was beginning then that they started kind of clearing Palestinian towns and everything like that to get way to um, build up towards what eventually became the kind of the, the Nakba, which was when they started legitimately um, forcing Palestinian people out like very directly um but yeah so it actually began a lot earlier than a lot of people realize we covered this a little bit in the stream the other week where we went into like the history of things how it goes it goes like a lot of people think that it all began kind of post-world war ii but um its roots were a lot earlier um even earlier than 1917 a lot of people say like there's a there is stuff going back into the late 1800s that um, kind of show that this was always the intention. So Palestine Action UK have been doing this for a long time, but and they've been active in all kinds of things. But recently, we have seen the pop-up of Palestine Action US. So this was, we also talked about this on the stream the other week, where there was definitely something fishy going on with their social media presence, where... Um, and we did this on stream and we encouraged people to go to their Twitter page and try and follow them and stuff. And it just wasn't working. Like no matter what you did, you couldn't <laughs> follow them. So that was the page of the U S um, section of Palestine action that um, were inspired by the actions of Palestine action UK to begin their own group. And so um, nine activists with Palestine action U S were arrested on Monday during a rally at the Cambridge office of Albert systems. So Albert systems are the same group that have the offices and factories in the UK and Palestine Action have been really good at shutting down just by drawing attention to what happens then. So, uh, yeah, they have um, they have some offices over in Cambridge in the States. This is in Massachusetts. And, um, yeah, so nine a- a- activists got arrested during a rally there. Over 200 people there in, in total had gathered there to protest. So this is at um is at Bishop Allen Drive and Prospect Street. So those that's the location. So it's a major thoroughfare in Cambridge. On the day of the protest, uh, businesses located in the building where Albert holds a lease advised employees not to come to work. So they knew that this protest was going to come. They said like this is what we're going to do, and they were like, all right, fuck it. You know, let's just shut up shop for the day. Like you know, no one come to work, which is like a victory. Um, so, uh, yeah, leading activists to call the protest an effective day-long shutdown of the Albert location. And so that's the thing, right? Like, um, And it's the same with what Palestine Action UK did with the Albert locations over there, just occupying the space, drawing attention to what they're doing there, and 
just making a making a fuss about it is usually enough for them just to be like, oh, actually, you know, fuck it, we'll just shut down for the day. And it's like, okay, well, you know, you can make if you can do it one day, you can do it again, you know, like and then you can do it like if you're shutting it down one day a week, you know, for a while, maybe you can step that up. It's like, what if you're shutting down for a week? What does that mean for their bottom lines? Because at the end of the day, it's like the they will only operate as long as it is profitable for them to do so, right? Like Palestine Action UK has also shown this principle to work with like proper proper Tom and Jerry shit. Like uh, Elbit has been like shutting down entire factories and and like it's cost them so much money, it's literally cheaper for them to open a new factory in a new location somewhere else yeah. in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It is the war crime factory. They don't care about being exposed to their crimes or whatever like that. Like that when you're, when you're producing a group like this and you're, um, you know, like you're talking about what they're doing, it's not, you're not trying to appeal to the corporation itself. Like they don't care. They know exactly what they do. They know what these things are for. There is no kind of like liberal, I guess, kind of like, um, what is it like the West Wing kind of appeal to their better nature or whatever? Like that shit doesn't work, but drawing attention you know, to the public, to them, that's, you know, like, that's who you're speaking to when you do a protest like this. The primary function is to stop them, like, to make it hard for them to get to work, you know, for hard for them to operate their business, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and it's just about hitting them in the, you know, the bottom line, the profit margin. That's that's the effective, um, that's the effective tactic for yeah for a lot of these kind of businesses that operate this way in the imperial core um so yeah so palestine action us is um a new formation taking inspiration from the direct action oriented group palestine action in the uk palestine action us was organized in recent weeks amid israel's ongoing genocidal siege and bombardment bombardment of gaza which has killed 8805 palestinians so far uh, so far, the group has focused its efforts on the Albert Systems office in Cambridge, but Chambers says that new chapters are being organized throughout the US to target other Albert hubs in the United States. We would like to see people everywhere on Earth escalate their opposition to this, he said. Chambers emphasized that while mass marches are important, direct actions targeting the Israeli war machine are also essential. We want to see people marching in the streets by the hundreds of thousands. That's really good. And we want to see more. Like you can see like, yeah, like hundreds of thousands of people coming out in some of the biggest cities on earth. It was like 2 million people in Indonesia came out for Palestine. You know, that's like wild. So imagine like, so this is like 200 people at this Albert location was enough to shut it down for the day. You know, like there's, there is a mass movement for this and it's like you kind of got to think about like marches are great but what's you know the next step and that's you know things like this like direct action but yeah so kira why don't you um give us a little bit of a rundown on what's happening with the scholastic books employees yeah so uh scholastic books i'm back up a little bit scholastic books has been in the news a bit um because their bigoted practice of siloing books that are woke um, giving schools an option to opt out of showing woke books at book fairs, the Scholastic book fairs that got them in the news and got them a lot of bad press. You couldn't make the hungry, hungry caterpillar nowadays. It has to be woke. <laughs> Thank you, Soph. Um, they were putting all their diverse books, like bi- ones with like BIPOC characters or queer characters, or even topics like that included racism and immigration. They would put them in like a single book fair case. And then they would give school libraries the option to to be like, 
opt out of those books being shown. And many uh, people involved were, or, you know, many of these like administrators were like, yeah. And they even kind of pushed it. They were like, kind of like encouraging opting out of this, which is uh, not good. So this really effectively offered schools a bigotry button. So after experiencing some backlash for its decision, Scholastic wrote a letter of apology to its authors and illustrators, recognizing the pain cause and did like a whole apology. But that has left a lot of people kind of really skeptical about this company uh, for good reason. And also, we all know how corporations are when they're offering uh, these so-called sincere apologies to the public. Um, You know, we'll wait and see what happens. But until then, now the employees are really upset with Scholastic because now they're like, wait a minute, this is a billion dollar company and I'm not even being paid living wages to work at Scholastic. What's going on? So unionized workers at Scholastic are walking or walked out in protest of the billion dollar company's refusal to pay its workers fair wages and specifically its rejection of the Scholastic Union's uh, proposal for annual raises. Members of Scholastic Union didn't report uh, to work on November 1st as part of a one-day stoppage and instead rallied via Zoom and held an in-person protest and picket Uh, outside of Scholastic's corporate headquarters that day. So they said, what we are asking for from a billion-dollar company is enough to live on as employees. And this is uh, said by Sandra Rowland, who's a member of the Scholastic Union. We have members who have had to use their retirement savings to keep up with the inflationary costs and rent increases since the pandemic. That's unacceptable for a company who professes to be dedicated to the highest quality of life in community and nation. Flagrantly hypocritical, Scholastic wants the public to believe that it values the, quote, worth and dignity of each individual, as this company credo says, but yet it refuses to pay living wages and it tramples on the legal rights of its unionized employees. So um, solidarity with Scholastic's uh, employees. Let's I hope that y'all get what you're looking for because you deserve it. So do you want to tell me what's going on in Oakland? Fucking desperately. Uh, I'm so (laughs) excited about this story. Uh, I already said, I think last week that like uh, when I saw Workers for a Free Palestine in the UK, it got very emotional. It was very moving. Um, this week, honestly, it's even more exciting. Uh, protesters at the Port of Oakland have blocked a US ship transporting weapons to Israel. Uh, so this is uh, community members from Oakland and workers uh, banding together. Um, so uh, uh, groups critical resistance and the International Long-Term Warehouse Union Bands together to stop the departure of U.S. military ships packed with arms to continue to continue Israel's genocide of Palestinians. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, so many people showed up there. I believe though, people got onto the boat. Uh, they did everything to to blockade it, stop it leaving. I remember seeing about them like tying it to the dock or something. Protesters chanted, stu- stood blocking access to the ship, and even chained themselves to the ship. Cops tried to break through the fence to force the protesters to stop. Uh, but uh, they they were not able to <laughs> force the protesters to stop. Workers began to have uh, revelations uh, about the violence they were participating in. One contractor posted this on his Snapchat. I'm just a contractor. This feels terrible. Uh, some workers disembarked. Um, so, you know, it, it, again, it's really similar to, we've already been talking a bit about Palestine Action UK, right? But like reaching out into the local community and being like, hey, this absolutely horrible thing that you're like aware of in the news and it feels like it's really, really far away. Actually, it's not really far away. They're doing it like right here and facilitating it right here. I think when, you know, when we had Huda on um, uh, from Palestine Action, uh, she was saying about like being able to initially talk to the workers at Elbit factories until they ended up replacing them all with like the fascist guy they could 
and a bunch of machines. But yeah, that it would just really quickly get people uh, thinking like, no, this sucks. I don't I don't want this at all. Um, similar thing happened here. Uh, it took cops detaining three people and violently breaking through lines of steadfast protesters uh, there since dawn multiple times. Uh, the genocide ship eventually did leave. The protesters did delay it for nine hours, exposed it and raised alarm to communities in uh, Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest, okay. Uh, Pacific Northwest, who are already organizing for when it arrives. Um, yeah, that's it. It's very, you know, it's heartening to see that. I just want to add that um, this, as much as it sucks that the ship did go, like Sophie was saying, it is really fantastic that so much solidarity was shown and and was so visibly, this ship was so visibly outed as doing what it's doing like sophie said exactly this stuff is not like far away and like another planet and i heard about it this is here palestine liberation is everyone's liberation it starts here right um and i'm so excited i'm so proud of these protesters um and so much i just feel so much solidarity with them that they were so steadfast with with their fight and were so brave with their fight and um i also need to say that with regards to like people that contractor being like, oh, this feels terrible. Yeah, it's, you know, poke fun at the contractor for for not realizing really the gravity of what they've been participating in. But I also think it's really heartwarming to see that all the stuff we're doing is actually rippling into the normies, right? Mm. Because it's sometimes it feels like it's just us and then it's just cops. And these are the only two islands and we're battling each other. Yeah, but yeah, honestly, yeah. whenever we're doing these protests, protest isn't the thing that's going to actually change the government. It's making everyone else start to open their eyes to the things that we're trying to tell them. And that's the thing that changes, right? So yeah, if it's we, consciousness raising. Right, right. So it's really exciting to see like workers disembarking because they're like, actually, this might be wrong of me. <laughs> And like contractors being like, this feels actually really bad. Like, yes, thank you. This is good. We're actually getting people to start opening their eyes to this. So um, I'm I'm just I'm very, very impressed um, with critical resistance and the International Longshore and Warehouse Union. It's also really cool to see uh, a group that's been fighting for Palestinian rights also um, banned with like workers like a worker union which is like so incredibly based like so excessively based <laughs> i think it also goes back to the old anarchist concept of the the propaganda of the deed like when people see that you do something they see that you care enough to do something right so it's like when you give them a pamphlet that's like hey israel's bad uh they're like Sure, I think I've heard many people believe that, but when they see you like stopping a ship going there with the weapons, they're like, damn, you like really care about this. It must matter a lot. And also it's a real thing. It's not a pamphlet. Yeah, exactly. It's a real, ex no, exactly, right? It's like the propaganda of the deed is infinitely more potent than the propaganda of the word because everyone, you know, it's just like seeing, um, you know, seeing a cop shop with all its like windows smashed or something right is infinitely more meaningful to people especially if it's like your local cop shop that like you're gonna that you're gonna think oh people my neighbors like don't like the police like really properly don't like the police and that's gonna matter like so much more than anyone telling them a cab could ever matter right yeah i also um want to mention that this particular ship has it's i i saw some records some find some records and pull it up about what this ship has been up to this ship has been this is a military ship so this ship has like a whole track record of of delivering weapons over uh for quote unquote operation iraqi freedom and Ooh. so again 
Palestinian liberation is everyone's liberation, right? If we take down the military industrial complex, this isn't an isolated one issue thing. This is humanity's thing, right? Yeah. Okay. One, two, one, two. Can you hear me? Hey, Neil. Congrats on being back. I'm back. You've come in to tell us about the tenants union. You've, you've, you've burst through the you from the from the black lodge where you were being detained. I'm literally we're me and my partner are literally watching Twin Peaks the return of the moment, so that's <laughs> nice. so so relevant um <laughs> yes I'm, I'm here to tell everyone about the uh comrades of the show segment uh so uh this is exciting because I was part of this um so I guess you didn't hear my most based thing this week so this can be uh part of that consolidation prize for that uh but basically greater manchester tenants union have released a statement in solidarity and support of palestine and this comes uh alongside uh london tenants union london renters union uh also expressed in solidarity and support for palestine uh, and i'll just read it out real quick uh, Greater Manchester Tenants Union has always fought to uphold the right to safe and secure housing for all. Accordingly, we stand in solidarity with the citizens of Palestine who have endured the loss of their right to a safe home since 1948. We're horrified by the unfolding genocide of the Palestinian people. We mourn the loss of innocent Palestinian and Israeli life alike and believe recent events to be a direct consequence of the lifetime of occupation that Palestine has suffered. Destruction on the scale we're seeing can never be justified and must be stopped immediately. We absolutely condemn the lack of humanitarian and medical aid reaching those in Palestine. Palestine, the actions of the United States and United Kingdom in preventing a humanitarian ceasefire are entirely unjustifiable and unforgivable. We call on all unions, activists and political groups across the country to continue the fight for the existence and freedom of the Palestinian people, continue to fight against oppression, apartheid and genocide. As a union, we will encourage and support members to attend all demonstrations in support of Palestine. We demand better from those we have entrusted to represent us in Westminster to uphold the basic human rights of this oppressed and devastated population. We call for an immediate ceasefire, the prevention of a ground invasion, and an end to the occupation of Palestine. Israel cannot be allowed to be an exception to international law. And that's it. That's what it says. That was a good test Fantastic. of my new mic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No. Hope, hope it sounds good. Uh, do you want to tell us about your most based thing this week anyway, since you're back now? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, the most based thing that I did this week was, again, connected to housing. Uh, you know, I'm something of a housing activist. People might have, if you, I don't know, if you've, if, if you've seen in the show the things I talk about. Uh, but basically, there is a queer squat out here in Manchester. And obviously, you know, I'm not going to say where it is, but um, I know some of the people there. I've been there a few times and um, I've kind of made it my unofficial outreach mission to uh, try and help them defend against a high court eviction warrant that they're currently uh, uh, basically under under threat of. So if you're wondering what a high court warrant is for eviction here in the UK, uh, it means the kind of things that we saw in uh, the University of Manchester when the, the people who were occupying the buildings there were evicted forcefully. Um, you know, these are the, the people who will get hired most likely, are uh, that one firm, I can't remember what their name is, but they're absolutely vile and disgusting, um, and they, like, pride themselves on evicting travellers. Yeah, they're the ones who are like, we, we evict the most activist squatters and travellers. Yes, it's that one. Um, and basically what they do, and the police come along with them, and they basically just practice, they, like, send um, um, undertrained officers to, like, practice 
arresting people and putting them away and putting them in vans and stuff. And, you know, that stuff's bad for anyone, but let's be real here. This is a bunch of, like, trans, disabled, queer, homeless people who you know, are extremely vulnerable anyway, you know, being kicked out of the house because they're queer, they don't have anywhere to go. I just um, tried to, I just tried to check it and I made myself really sad because I've just found out how many bailiff services uh, explicitly advertise that they get rid of, of travelers. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Um, but yeah, so basically there is, there is a glimmer of hope, um, in terms of what we might be able to do, because obviously, uh, the tenants union, we have connections with Greater Manchester Law Center, who are like a pretty based, uh, you know, free legal aid, uh, law firm who try and, you know, help us in, in people who are suffering with housing issues and stuff. Um, but they do a lot of all, of, of other good work. And at the moment I'm in correspondence with one of our, uh, members who works there. Um, and, uh, he's basically asking me for a bunch of information from these people in the squat to see if we can actually like send a letter to the court and be like, look, here's what's happening. You know, it's on council land. This is a bunch of people who've been failed by the council's homeless service. They're doing things for the community. They're constantly putting on events for the local community. They're, they're involved in a thing called the queer food project where they feed homeless queer people, homeless people. Anyway, it doesn't, you know, it's not, it's not specifically just for queer people, but it's, it's for homeless people all over the place. Um, so fingers crossed that we're going to, uh, uh, have a, a successful waiver of the, the, the warrant. And, and if that isn't the case, if we can't get that, then the next step is to find out how we can resist an eviction like that um, as safely and as legally as possible so that like people don't get arrested or put away or do you know what I mean? Like charged with anything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really difficult thing and I'm kind of regretting getting involved because it's a lot of extra work, but um, I think it's for the best. Um, and I think that like, it really is, obviously I say I regret, I, I really don't regret it. I think it's the right thing to do and I think it is, but it, it, what I'm saying is like, it's complex and it's difficult and, and, you know, when it comes to land and this is something that, you know, we're quite big on in, in Red Planet because, you know, Marx, he, he talks about this thing, the enclosure of the commons and that's why everything is bad. And so when it comes to land, uh, you know, it, 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 the, the state will come down on you with the full force that it can. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. I'll let you know what, what, what's going down. It might be worth us talking about how Red Planet is made possible by the support of our patrons. I was going to uh, say. Yeah. I mean, well, great minds think alike. So uh, I think that's that's what, what happened there. We just both encountered the mind. best possible thought right now, which is uh, to go to patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Just want to briefly remind everyone, like I said, that it's made possible by the direct support of our viewers. Uh, we would like to expand the show by hiring an editor. Uh, as we are constantly saying, Conrad is a, a blessing uh, not just to the you know the specific enterprise of the show, but like our lives. It is an honor to know him, um, and he's made the show so much better, as you've all seen. Uh, and uh, like I was saying last week, you know, like uh, he currently takes on a lot of editing work. So even besides how much better, uh, you know, another hypothetical, uh, uh, you know, uh, part of the team could be, uh, though they couldn't possibly be as good as Conrad, they will give us more Conrad because he won't be doing the editing. So if you support the show, we're not going to go to all the, 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 the tiers right now, but even if you support the show at the lowest amount, $2 a month, um, you will have access to our bonus podcast series, Limited Hangouts. Uh, episode two on the Democrats will release this coming week. And when it's done, uh, our upcoming documentary film on the Zad 
so limited hangouts is uh we mentioned before it's a it's a kind of little spin-off series about conspiracies uh we've had uh episodes with mule and kira and conrad and i are the 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 original original crew uh we'll we'll have another one with tim soon um and then we're going to probably rotate around and have some have some more red planet conspiracy uh chat going on um i i really like it kira do you want to tell us about the the guests we're about to have on yes i i would be i would love to um so our guest is michael I met Michael yesterday at the pro-Palestine protest. Um, the one I was talking about is the most one of the most basic things I did this week. Um, the one that was organized by the Northwestern University Students for Justice in Palestine. Michael is a member of Jews Against White Supremacy, as well as a member of Jewish Voice for Peace. If you're not familiar with Jewish Voice for Peace, you've probably heard about their org a lot in the news lately. They're the ones that we cover the news story of, um, of like a few shows ago when they uh, conducted a massive sit-in at Grand Central Station and cops had to bring buses to try to try to uh, arrest them. Um, Just incredibly based and um, absolute comrades. You love to see it. So everyone, welcome Michael to the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Hi, Michael. Michael. Welcome. It's so cool to have you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. So I was just telling... um, everyone about uh, Jewish Voice for Peace, but how would you tell us about uh, Jews Against White Supremacy? Because that's the org that you're very much in- involved with. Yeah, so I'm involved in both. Um, but Jews Against White Supremacy is a pretty new anti-Zionist group that started just like a couple months ago. Um, and I and I think it kind of started to fill a gap on the left of a more radical anti-Zionist left position among uh, Jewish organizing. Um and Jewish Voice for Peace is great, and I still work with them and like inside them and with trying to pull folks left in some degree. Um, and Jews Against White Supremacy believes in a free Palestine from the river to the sea by any means necessary, um, and Jews organizing as uh, comrades and in solidarity with Palestinians for their liberation. Um, and there's plenty of people in... Um, joining right now we have like a whole lot of new people joining our group so that's awesome you don't have to be jewish to be part of it there's people who are some identify as jewish some don't we welcome everyone to be part of jews against white supremacy um if you can find us on instagram and facebook if you just search jews against white supremacy definitely would recommend giving us a follow and uh sharing our our material Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by all means, use this use this show to promote the hell out of your group because it sounds like y'all are super based. Um, tell me more about what makes uh, Jews Against White Supremacy more radical. Yeah, yeah. I'll just give you like an example. Um, sometimes there's kind of like this liberal approach to anti-Zionism, which kind of relies on this framework of international law, for example. I And I, I kind of push back against that. Like, Ghassan Kanafani, who is the leader of the Palestinian uh, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which was a Marxist, is a Marxist formation in Palestine for Palestinian liberation. He wrote that uh, bourgeois moralism and obedience to international law are the cause of tragedy for the Palestinian people. Mm. So Jews Against White Supremacy is trying to take a principled left wing stance against Zionism. And that's not to say that other groups don't. It's just that's where we're trying to 
uh, attack from. And we are we are dedicated to working alongside Palestinians for their liberation. And we're our goal is to take on and abolish Zionist institutions. That's another factor that um, some t- that we I think Jews against white supremacy saw on the left the need for going head on against Jewish Zionist institutions and Christian Zionist institutions and really any Zionist institutions. So we, as Jews, we're in a place where we can um, say that Zionism is not Judaism, mm-hmm. that Zionism doesn't represent Jews. And we are in a position alongside Palestinians to push back against the narrative of anti-Zionism as anti-Semitism, for example. Um, yeah. I think it's definitely worthwhile for there to be like a, a much more radical uh, org out there. You know, when you have like the ADL or other like, you know, hate speech monitors are, 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 are calling like anti-Zionist groups um, anti-Semitic, it's like you're... Yeah, like if you're if you're going to be called anti-Semitic when you're just being like you know uh, kind of having a, a moderate moderate or liberal approach to anti-Zionism, then you may you may as well you know uh, uh, not mess around and like get you know, <laughs> get to get to the point. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, and one thing like um, thanks, Michael, for mentioning the whole thing about you know how there's like there are you know there's christian zionists like there's like that's so much of their support base like over down here in new zealand um there's a bunch of like there's like the israel institute and the um there's like the indigenous coalition for israel and all these other groups and they're um they are the majority evangelical christian organizations you know it's like some they might have like a single like jewish board member and then the rest are like evangelical christians and it's like you know, like, and then so in criticizing their members or their administration, you know, people say people like they'll call you anti-Semitic, and it's like, bro, you're not even Jewish, <laughs> like, right. you know, like yeah. it's wild. But um, and the international law thing as well, I think, is a great thing to point out because um, so we had a Palestinian solidarity rally on um, Saturday down here. Thousands of people showed up and it was, yeah, it's the biggest one so far that we've had in Auckland. And there was a Labour MP that spoke who um, has in the past been like an advocate for Palestine. And he gave this really kind of middling kind of um, both sides speech where he Mm -hmm. talked about, he was like, you know, like, like he started off by condemning Hamas and then talking about how, like, you know, like the actions of these Palestinian resistance groups are breaking international law. And it's kind of just like, well, like, where has international law been when, you know, like Israel has been like running this open air prison in Gaza? There's no real enforcement of international law. And who wrote international law? You know, mostly Western states, colonial states. Mm-hmm. So whose interest is it to try and like condemn people according to international law? Laws ultimately are justification for state violence. And we're seeing that it's applied very much in that in that same manner. Like here are these laws and then we apply them when we want to justify our violence. And even when we want to even if we want to commit acts of violence, we don't really even need them justified. But when when like Hamas does a single thing, all of a sudden now international law, this international law, that Um, I also feel similarly to you with and I'm never going to say this at these protests, but like when certain chants like occupation is a crime, Mm -hmm. things like that. 
I'm always like very wary about using the these types of this types of terminology to to like like an appeal to law or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like right? it's against the against the right. the laws of the West. <laughs> like it's right. okay, but who cares yeah. though? Ultimately, what do you mean you're experiencing genocide? That's illegal. Yeah, it's wrong because the king said it was wrong to do that. <laughs> basically, Jim Crow was legal. You know, all those laws were legal. Like um, you know, like in in Nazi Germany, like locking up Jews, it that was legal you know and it's the same thing with um yeah. you know like when a lot of people talk about human rights and things i was like just going to mention that another related framework that's kind of a liberal framework is human rights like oh like we're trying to achieve palestinian human rights and uh and in a way there's it's problematic for a few reasons one is like oh we're giving them human rights or something it's like that's problematic in its own sense and the other thing that's problematic i think about hu- the human rights framework is this idea of like okay so you get the right to vote maybe is that liberation right it's not necessarily liberation look at south africa for example you know in south africa the end of apartheid uh did not mean the end of colonialism per se it didn't mean the end of uh inequality uh between white and black south africans it didn't necessarily mean land back, right? So um, my position is like land back. I'm coming at this also from my experience at Standing Rock and my experience as a water protector. So that's kind of where my my perspective comes in mostly. Based. A huge um, demographic of support for Palestinian struggle over here is with, um, with Maori and Pacifica people. And a lot of the a lot of our historic kind of like like land marches and you know even like even going back further than that to people that protested against South African apartheid in New Zealand there was like a gigantic whole thing with like the Springbok rugby tour back in the day it was like one of our iconic kind of memories of protests mm-hmm. um and these are like the same people that are you know like rallying for Palestine you know it's the same people that have you know the same people that were involved with like Standing Rock and all this kind of stuff and it's like like that's the reality is that it is it is one struggle and there's like a through line for all of these things um you know this is something that a lot of people have talked about a lot of the books that we've recommended on stream like um like how to blow up a pipeline and things like that that's the name of the book for any you know cia gscb gcsb agents or whatever listening the name of the book is how to blow up a pipeline and you know like there's like this this common thread where it's like you know it like links it obviously to the greater economic system it links it to um you know like the like petrochemical billionaires and the climate crisis and stuff like that like it's literally it's all one struggle and um i think that it's there's there's a huge um i think kind of rhetorical thing with israel where they're trying to they're trying to obfuscate that right you know and there's like this idea of like um you know like uh like zionism as being the um you know like that's the indigenous like those right. they're the land back guys and stuff like right. that but, yeah. yeah it's very twisted it's inverted um i mean but it's also something that we see in the American, the United States context, and really in any settler colonial context, where the settlers are, have the intention of replacing the indigenous people. And one of the ways that they try to do that is by claiming indigeneity, and claiming, um, 
for example, in in the U.S. context, claiming that, you know, it's like uh, the white settlers, the white Christian settlers have this right to the land because they're closer to God or something. And they have this right to like redeem the land and redeem the wilderness, all of this stuff, which is, uh, is in any settler colonial context has been, has been used as justification in Zionism and in Americanism and American settler colonialism too. But with Zionism trying to pretend like it's an indigenous movement because Jews once lived in Palestine. Well, there's a lot of factors to that argument, but one of them is a, that there's Palestinian Jews. There's Jews who are Palestinian who don't like Zionism at all. They never wanted Zionism. And they've lived in Jerusalem and other parts of Palestine uh, before Zionism. And they got along very well with Muslim and Christian Palestinians. Yeah. Um, this is so um, what yeah. uh, Rabbi Yisrael David Dovid, or David Weiss. I know he's from uh, the Notori Carter. And- yeah, yeah. That's good. They're quite problematic in some of their views. Some ways, uh, but... <laughs> maybe. To be honest, I actually defend them. I think that they're part of this too. Like there's a misconception that like ultra-Orthodox anti-Zionist Jews are only anti-Zionist because of some obscure theological reason. But no, it's they have a moral compass that they care about Palestinian lives and they want Palestinian liberation too. I've heard Cheryl Weichel, who's like been a great voice on this. She's a Jewish lawyer um, based in the States. And she wrote an open letter to her fellow Jews talking mm. about something called Sinat Chinam. Am I saying that right? It's from the Talmud or something. It's like Jews were initially like kicked out of the temple, supposedly in the, in the scriptures. Oh, baseless hatred. Baseless hatred. Yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it like it's it's just it's covered, right? It's covered in the scriptures. It's there. Um, you know, this kind of like and and it's vile. I don't know if we spoke about this too much on our um we did a whole episode where we covered the whole history of the occupation and Zionism and stuff like this. But I don't know if we mentioned it too much, but like, you know, the grandfathers of Theodore uh, of Zionism like Theodore Herzl, Max Nordau, um, this this was covered in Ellie Valley's book, um, who is a, a, a prominent anti-Zionist Jewish cartoonist. And he quotes some of them and they say some of the most anti-Semitic things, right? Some Absolutely. of the most vile anti-Semitic yeah. things. Right. They The thing, the original Zionist uh, founders blamed Jews for anti-Semitism, basically. They said that, like Herzl, for example, blamed Jews for for anti-Semitism in Europe and said, you know, essentially that um, wherever Jews go, there's going to be anti-Semitism because the Jews themselves bring it with them. And so therefore we need just our own little piece of land and we can't integrate or be part of other uh, communities or other uh, people. Uh, right. So, you know, Zionism and Judaism are are really not just not the same thing. They're diametrically opposed. Yeah. Um, there's um, one thing that like, I only realized that like a lot of people don't actually know about, which um, is something that I've, I've read a bit about before. Um, but the uh, someone I, I was thinking about it yesterday because someone sent me this thing on Twitter, like this, you know, it's like one of those like little Zionist gotcha things. And this guy sent me this thing saying when Europeans went to America, they didn't find ancient manuscripts of Shakespeare because they were colonizers. Jews in Israel find ancient manuscripts written in Hebrew, the same language they speak today, describing the same rituals they observe because they're indigenous. And it's like, okay, cool. So obviously, like, 
this person has no idea about the history of Israel because right. so the Zionist project had like a, and it was like a distinct effort, effort to create like the new Hebrew man, like to revive, yeah. mm-hmm. um, well, to like create this, um, this new Hebrew culture. There's um, a good book I posted about it, which is funny because it's, it's written by an Israeli dude at the university of Tel Aviv. And he, wrote about it from an Israeli perspective being like, yes, I want to, you know, like catalog our history and our creation of this culture sort of thing. And a lot of people were like, this is anti-Zionist. And he's like, what? (laughs) You know? So it's um, this book, Becoming Hebrew, the creation of a Jewish natural national culture in Ottoman Palestine by Arya Bruce Sapoznik. And it's like, you know, like there's like this very, like very factual account of, them being like, okay, so we need to create a unified national identity of like the strong new Jewish culture. And so they, there was an effort to um, discourage people from speaking like Yiddish and everything like that and bring back Mm -hmm. Hebrew as a language, which was, you know, until that point, it was like a thing that was only really used, well, mainly used for like ritual and stuff. And it actually discouraged the um the Palestinian Jews and all the other um Jews in the area that all spoke Hebrew, they were kind of like, man, like they've taken this from us and we don't want to speak it yeah. anymore. So, you know, it's like this kind of thing where they um right. they erased all these other unique Jewish cultures or tried to erase these little, you know, like these pockets of different kinds of Jews that all lived in the area to create this unified identity, which is like something that, you know, like a lot of has happened in a lot of other, um, I would say, like, national liberation struggles. Um, like, I mean, we saw this with, like, even in the Chinese Cultural Revolution, and we've seen this in a lot of, like, yeah. um, you know, like, Africa and stuff like that. And, like, there was, like, I do remember some quotes from Fanon, like, at the time where he was like, this is, you know, this is part of their kind of, um, you know, like, uh, like, there's this idea of creating this nas- national identity towards liberation sort of thing. But obviously right, he... Right. Fanon, you know, didn't actually see what was happening. Well, you know, like what came after this or whatever. But um, yeah, you know, so it's like this interesting thing where it's like there's this idea that people think like this is the continuation of a culture that was always here. And it's like, no, this was the deliberate recreation of something by people. Like, you know, like there was this like culture that it kept evolving with all these other people, these cultures and these ethnicities that came through. And these guys came in and they were like, we want to wind it back to this point and we're going to recreate from there. So it's like, no wonder there's, they're speaking the same language and doing the same rituals with the people from hundreds of years ago, you know, because it's like they deliberately set it up to be that way. You know, like this isn't like, a, you know, this isn't an indigenous, like a, an unbroken string, you know, this is like, right. Yeah, a very deliberate thing. I would say, firstly, that, like, regardless, no matter what claim Zionists make to indigeneity in Palestine, it doesn't matter because Palestinians experience, have experienced and experienced Zionism as colonialism because it is colonialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it doesn't matter what justification or what, uh, you know, the, the Zionist... Pr- project could uncover hebrew from 2000 years ago it doesn't make zionism any less colonial yeah yeah I said it's this kind of like if morning, uh, yeah. sorry tim yeah it's it's kind of like if uh 
you know, English people living in England said, oh, you know, actually we come from uh, Turkey, you know, like Caucasian people come from Turkey. So, you know, we need a home in Turkey. It's just absurd. It's completely absurd. Well, uh, Italy invades the UK and says, like, right. look, Temple Station, we were here first. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah, we were um, here a thousand years ago. So, uh, yeah, now we've got to kill you all. Yeah, I was talking about this with a, with a friend earlier today, actually, the idea that it's like, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's like they could have a legitimate claim to indigeneity or whatever like that. The reality is it's like they are, you know, like they're occupying this land. They're keeping these people and are opening a prison. They openly call themselves the Jewish colonization. Uh, use that term, you know, in the beginning decades of Zionism. Uh, they very proudly, openly embraced, obviously, the the British and then America more um as their patrons you know and so colonialism runs right through it entirely another thing about judaism is that it's a moral religion it's not about um that kind of uh uh kind of uh staking a a, an ethno-national claim to land you know that's just another misconception of where some people think zionism and judaism are similar or overlap or whatever, but there's a scholar named Mark Ellis who said, and I think this is like an apt description. He said that the Jewish indigenous is the prophetic tradition, which is a moral tradition. It's not about being indigenous to land in the same way that Palestinians or Native Americans are. And Jewish tradition is about the prophetic, which is uh, standing up for social justice. Uh, that's really the core of Judaism. So that's why another reason why I say that Judaism and Zionism are diametrically opposed. Yeah. Some of the like most uh, active anti-Zionists and anti, you know, like, and like supporters of Palestinian nationhood and liberation that I've known over like the last sort of, you know, like 20 something years that I've known about what's happening have been Jewish, you know, like they've been anti-Zionist Jews. And there's like a bunch of organizations in Auckland. And when I lived over in Australia, there's, um, you know, even um, just like on an individual level, like a lot of the, like, I, yeah, I even like have, I have a few Israeli friends and acquaintances who are all, you know, like once they've moved out of, Israel and come back to the rest of the world they've had an awakening and they've been like oh shit okay you know so um yeah, yeah, Michael, yeah, yeah. Um, tell yeah. us tell us sort of like if you you know if you if you're cool to do this uh what your own personal journey with anti-Zionism was like what what kind of yeah. like led you you've mentioned that like Judaism is not um you know it's completely antithetical to to, to Zionism yeah. um you know, and and I actually, I, my step family are, are all Jewish, and I kind of understand um, just how deep and insidious the Zionist line yeah. goes. Mm -hmm. So, if you if you could talk to us a little bit about your journey, sure. Um, so, when I was younger, I would say in my early, like late teens, early twenties, I wasn't very involved in politics, and I kind of just considered myself a liberal, and um, I considered myself like, oh, yeah, I'm against the occupation, but like maybe a two state solution is the, is the answer. Increasingly, over time, I became more radical. And what really cemented it for me was um, going to Standing Rock 
uh, right outside at the front of Oshedi Sako in the camp at Standing Rock, there is a sign that said, from Palestine to Standing Rock, we are united. And there was a Palestinian flag. And there were Palestinian folks there that I met. And uh, there was talk of Palestine and the connections. And I realized, like, I need to be consistent. I need to be in solidarity with indigenous people here and indigenous people all over the world, including Palestine. And I could see that this is also when I started to learn about United U.S. settler colonialism as a structure and a system. And so I made the connection as well there. Like, okay, so U.S. settler colonialism has has inflicted untold uh, pain and suffering and oppression on Native Americans and on Black Americans. And Zionism has inflicted the same thing on Palestinians. So... Um, can I just say that, like, it's so refreshing and obviously heartbreaking, but refreshing as well to see so many black people immediately be able to recognize what's mm-hmm. going on. Like, they're like this. I've seen this shit before, obviously in a different way, but not really mm-hmm. like it's in, it's 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 chilling how universal this shit is. But it's also really powerful in that it does mean that this is our struggle together. This isn't one little pocket of a struggle, another little pocket. And they have, I guess, some some something to do with each other, maybe. This is one big struggle. Anyways, right. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I really oh, appreciate okay. you pointing that out. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I think that my group is called Jews Against White Supremacy, because um, we're fighting all forms of white supremacy, including Zionism. So that's that's you know, we're going against white supremacy here in Turtle Island and around the world and in Palestine. Um, And so, yeah, so I went to Standing Rock. That's where the connection really got cemented for me of like, okay, I need to be in full solidarity with Palestinian people, just like I tried to be in solidarity with indigenous people here. Um, After that, I started organizing with Jewish Voice for Peace, in 2017 to 2018, I was part of JVP Chicago. Uh, and so I did various things with them, like uh, teaching at a, uh, or or kind of doing educational work at a Teachers for Social Justice Fair and just various other organizing with JVP. I moved to New York in 2018 to go to graduate school. Uh, and I was part of JVP New York for two years. Uh, and then I came back here to where I am now is uh, outside of Chicago uh, when the pandemic started. And uh, in the last year, I've become more active with JVP again, JVP Chicago, and now with Jews Against White Supremacy. Um, But in my sociology, so my graduate degree was sociology. And I studied sociology because of my experiences at Standing Rock and my other kind of radicalization experiences with politics. So that's what brought me to sociology. And when I did my sociology degree, I did a independent study with a professor specifically about settler colonialism in Palestine. So I really studied it from many angles. In my journey, my my kind of first protest was actually, uh, I happened to be in Baltimore. I was traveling in 2015. And I happened to be in Baltimore during the, the uprising after Freddie, the cops who killed Freddie Gray were acquitted. And so I, I joined the protests there. And that's, that's like my first introduction to like, um, protests and stuff. And then in 2016, I was a Bernie Sanders volunteer organizer for like six months. 
And I like went all over the country with some friends and, um, and from there, I just kept moving left. That guy lately. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying not to complain real about him because I know we, we had a lot of news to go through, but yeah. then she brought him up. Uh, fuck Bernie Sanders. <laughs> That's how I kind of started to get radicalized. He serves a he served a purpose, yeah. and his purpose is over. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, he. Um, I think he has um, seen from the the some of the people because yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Ju- I yeah, think I mean, Jewish Voice like... for Peace have actually like um, sat in his office. They've done a sit in in his office. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and I think he has actually like asked for like a smidge of a ceasefire like i think i think he actually did that this week but again you know yeah it's this kind of like it's not enough and 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 how do you i think it's perfect i think it's perfect that like you know uh people are getting on to these like you know politicians that have these uh quote-unquote radical ideas like healthcare, <laughs> and um and then when the establishment crushes them unforgivingly uh, people then become radicalized. So, okay, that's really interesting. So, yeah, you got radicalized by that. You were you were doing that for six months, and what were you doing? Like just knocking on doors, or I was doing a, knocking on doors. I was recruiting volunteers to go knock on doors or to come into the offices and make phone calls or other things. I was mostly recruiting other volunteers, um, and I went with two friends, two of my really good friends that we bonded so much through that experience. And then one of those friends and me were the ones who who, with a couple other people went to standing rock after because we were just keeping in touch and we're like look at what's going on we saw like the attack dogs from the security forces attacking water protectors and we're like we should just go so we went in um late 2016 i think we got there for that i was there for the first three weeks of november in 2016 and then i was there for three weeks in january and february 2017 um um when everyone was evicted by the police from that area i was just thinking about how your um your story mirrors that of there's like so many people i know particularly jewish people and israeli people who um went through the same kind of like really similar stories of um Mm -hmm. i guess like radicalization um yeah it's um and yeah, there's so many, or like even um, there's people I know who have even described like not even really knowing, like knowing about like the history of Israel, but not knowing anything about like the real history of it until getting to like university or like around that age or yeah. even a little bit later. Um, yeah, like even there's um, there's an org in New Zealand called um, Dayanu, um, New Zealand Jews Against Occupation, and they're founded by, it's like a a girl and her mother and so I think she was like the one of the main founders Abigail was like in her late 20s but her mom was like I don't know she was like in her like 50s or something like that when they kind of like you know kind of had this like realization that they were just like oh wow like holy shit like you know there's something going on here that we didn't even really know about and um you know and then they they founded this all together and kind of um you know, have started, um, you know, and they're like a really like a significant voice in New Zealand, like Jewish uh, produce. And they like work hand in hand with the Palestinian youth organizations and like, you know, like they um they run a um a restaurant and they often, you know, like host these like these events and stuff. They've been doing it for years before like yeah. the current event and stuff and um have totally been kind of 
pushed out from the New Zealand Israeli community, like the heavily Zionist kind of like influenced New Zealand um, Israeli and Jewish communities as well, which is like really, um, really interesting. But, um, you know, it's not something that um, is kind of, I guess, like taught to, you know, like younger kids growing up or anything like that. It's kind of like it, it requires us a little bit of like um, self-interrogation or being out in the world and kind of like, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, I think that's the same with like there's like a lot of kind of state indoctrination in any country, like, you know, like in America or yeah. like in New Zealand and the UK and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's just yeah. that I think like the kind of um, the Zionist propaganda machine just does not sleep, you know, <laughs> like it's... Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about Jews Against White Supremacy and what their sort of, like, perspective uh, mm-hmm. actions are. Well, what, what kind of perspective actions are being planned? If you can tell us, obviously, if you can't, don't worry about it, um, about the current situation in, in, in Gaza. So, um, in terms of, like, protesting that's going on, uh, Jewish Jews Against White Supremacy has ha- endorsed the the DC protest on Saturday. Uh, was one of the endorsers, um, and and uh, the group is um, actively sending uh, sending our members to protests uh, all around the world. We have branch a branch just opened in Brazil. And y'all just started this group it's, like somewhat recently. Group, I want to say that it started in like August or July. That's amazing. Hell yeah. Um I I found out about it in August, I think. Like end of August or or so. Um and I thought like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll check them out and like like them on Facebook and then like a couple and then like realized later like, oh, this is like where it's at for me. Like yeah. my type of organization. Um Yeah. And so one of the things that we are working on and we're going to do more of uh, so you probably saw that the ADL, uh, the Brandeis Center, and then there's this Hawley Senate resolution, which were all very similar things attacking SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine, across like 200 universities in Turtle Island. And so um, Jews Against White Supremacy, we put out a statement um, defending SJPs from those attacks, those like baseless claims of anti-Semitism and making Jewish students feel threatened and feel unsafe and all of that uh, BS. We've put out a statement uh, condemning the ADL for that. So yeah, I would say the ADL is kind of an adversary of ours that we're trying to <laughs> uh, push back against. So that so they did that, and then we pushed back against that. And we are also going to uh, continue to reach out to SJP chapters and national SJP to uh, share with them like how we stand our our solidarity with them and whatever we can do to stand by their side while they face these attacks and these accusations. Um, that's one aspect of our organizing that I'm excited about personally. Um, can, I, can I interject real quick um, and just to connect the dots for all of our audience? SJP uh, is students for the for justice in Palestine. And that's where I met Michael. I met Michael at a protest held by Northwest University SJP. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, you're going to be basically focusing on calling out organizations like the ADL. Um, and I, I assume the media for, for these absurd, mm. baseless claims of anti-Semitism. Um, and uh, yeah, sorry, I, 
Yeah. Sort of the stuff you would um, well, yeah. it's it's important because like uh, I think the ADL is is a you know one of the ways it's been described, which I agree with, is it's a it's an Israel lobby with a civil rights hobby. Nice. Right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's basically what the ADL is. Um, and so they claim to be progressive. They claim to be liberal. They claim to be fighting against hate and discrimination and all of that. And they're trying to do all of that while being 100% uh, pro-Israel, pro-Zionist and attacking anyone who stands up against Zionism, whether it's SJP or Jewish Voice for Peace. Um, and, I mean, even historically, they're pro-white uh, South African apartheid. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. Yeah. They spied on on South African active uh, black South African activists. You know, they claim to speak for Jews. They claim that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Like they very clearly state that in their website. They have a whole thing about anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, and it's like one of the reasons that Jews against white supremacy exists is so that we can go up against those. Zionist institutions like the ADL and just simply say, no, you're wrong. We're Jewish. We're anti-Zionist. We're proud to be Jewish. We're, uh, we love ourselves. We're not self-hating, right? All of those things. And we're anti-Zionist because Zionism and Judaism are not the same thing and they're opposed to each other. So by putting that message out there, we can kind of drive a wedge and like, there's still people, unfortunately, who think of the ADL as this progressive organization or like as this like fighting hate organization. So they've done by, a really good yeah. job marketing themselves. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Mm. So by I think exposing that we're, we're trying to, like I kind of said before, the Jews against white supremacy exists to try to abolish Zionist institutions in the Jewish community and in the larger community. Mm. Yeah. And ADL is definitely one of those. Yeah, I feel like the ADL has, uh, with a lot of support from from American cultural imperialism, like really uh, gotten positioned as like a progressive resource because they they they're in charge of so much of like the um, well, in charge of still makes it sound too official, but it's like given a lot of credence in like the authorizing of knowledge with regards to hate speech, like a lot of the people who are becoming politically aware around that same like Bernie era uh, or like, you know, becoming anti-fascist because of Trump, like, um, you know, saw the ADL as, uh, you know, uh, like maybe, maybe you would have heard, heard of the ADL first as like somewhere where there's a website where you've got like a, a log of the, of the hate symbols you can learn about and what the, what the Nazis are doing and, and this stuff. And then like right. um, it, it's able to sneak in in a, in a really right. like innocuous way. Absolutely. Um, I like that, you know, the, the, with a civil rights hobby, that's very yeah. funny. I feel like I've seen a lot of people instinctively support the ADL because, you know, in the past when they've spoken out against like, you know, like, uh, alt-right groups and stuff like that. And then it's like funny to see some of these, like, you know, like these far right people that have in the past said that like, you know, the ADL is just like some Soros shill or something like that. And now they're just like, well, no, see, 
they say that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. It's just like, fuck off, you know? Well, I, I, I specifically remember doing a live stream once because I've been following the Palestinian struggle for a long time. And, mm. and I thought, oh, it's time to educate my, uh, 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 you know, viewers on what Zionism is. And, and you know, and, and I actually use the ADL. And th this might just be ADHD brain gone wrong. I don't remember it correctly or something. But I seem to specifically remember at this point in time, it was like when I very, very early started doing politics streaming. It might have been 2017, 2018. Um, and it, it, I feel like on the ADL website, it had a definition where it said, yeah, you know, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, but also conflating the actions of Israel with Jews everywhere, like, is, is um, you know, is, is actually, is actually anti-Semitism. And I'm like, how does that even work? It's like hypocrisy straight away. And then also, because, you know, they're saying that, like, Israel is Jewish self-determination. Anyway, right. this, I might have got this completely wrong, but I know that they edit things right. quite a lot. And, and a lot of times, like, they have, uh, like, Mondo Vice, for example. Mondo Vice is, is a, a publication. That's where I heard about Jews Against White Supremacy. Right, there you go. Yeah, that's how based Mondo Vice are. Yeah, Mondo Vice are really good. I, I go to them for everything. Okay, that's good uh, to know. That's even makes, that's makes me impress with them even more. Cool. Yeah, and then... Um, yeah, yeah, Mondo Vice are really, really good. And like, if you go onto the ADL website to to look up uh, Mondo Vice, yeah. there's there's a mention of them in this one article, or or maybe they have like another article uh, about it where they say, oh, this one guy who's like a, a definite, definite, definite Holocaust denier, like gave them a load of money once. And I was looking up this guy and I was trying to find out where he'd said that the Holocaust didn't happen and stuff. And I couldn't find it. He very well may be a Holocaust denier. I think his name is like Ray Unz or something like yeah, that. I don't know. Yeah. You know this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about this controversy yeah, with Mondo Ice. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. They actually returned the money. Right. There you go. There you go. Yeah. They returned the money because of that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I had a thought I was going to complete about that, but which is basically that, um, you know, the ADL is just like this absolutely like going into overdrive thing. And uh, that is why it's so important to basically, I guess, like as, as Jewish people to, to turn around and be like, look, these are, this is not how it works. And I did want to go into on top of that, because there is actually like a, a, a broader rise of anti-Semitism that is being reported on. Like actual, we're talking legit anti-Semitism here. Uh, for example, everyone's seen, I think, that footage of um, Russian people in Dagestan, quote unquote, hunting Jews, uh, you know, actually like, you know, trying to find Jewish people coming in on a flight from Israel. Um, and we've also seen um, uh, synagogues attacked in North Africa and stuff like that. Michael, yeah. tell us like a little bit about how you feel about the overall um rise in anti-semitism and like you know just sort of like tell us i guess how you feel as a jewish person like about this and about how it's it's being massively conflated with the palestinian palestinian liberation movement as a whole absolutely well i would say again that you know as jews our struggle is against white supremacy as people our struggle is against white supremacy anti-semitism is part and parcel of white supremacy so, you know, there's the actual anti-Semitic incidents that are have been rising along with white supremacy uh, in this country and around the world. Um, and then there's somewhat of a conflation that like the ADL and other organizations will put out like, 
oh, there's so many pro-Palestine rallies. See the rise in anti-Semitism, you know, and that's obviously BS. Um, but um, yeah, anti-Semitism is a real issue, obviously, and it is a part of white supremacy. So we're going, we have to tackle it as a whole. We have to tackle white supremacy as a whole, uh, including anti-Semitism. I don't feel any less safe right now as a Jew than I did before October 7th. I think that's complete nonsense. The idea that like Jews in America are now like less safe because of October 7th is is nonsense. There's definitely some Zionists who feel that way, but um and and you know there's like I saw this thing that I thought it's like sad but it's like someone was posted something like you know, every time Israel drops bombs on Gaza now, I'm seeing things of like, hey, you should check in with your Jewish friends to see if they're okay. And it's like, uh, you know, I've, I would say that Zionist feelings are not as important as Palestinians lives. So like, we can just disregard Zionist feelings, which is not to say that there isn't real anti-Semitism out there. But um, when we get clear about what really is anti-Semitism, and when we get clear about the difference between Judaism and Zionism and the difference between anti-Zionism, principled anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, that actually, I think, makes Jews safer in a way. Right. To get clear right. on that makes yeah. makes Jewish people safer because if there was anyone out there who's who is conflating what Israel does with all Jewish people, now they can understand, oh, it's actually not uh, the same. It's actually... You can be mad at Israel, you can be mad at Zionism and angry and everything and not project that onto Jewish people. Um, I was um, talking to my mom the other day. I was having the hard talk about Israel. Um, I'm Greek and the Israel did the did the mis made the mistake of bombing a 2000 year old Greek Orthodox church in Gaza. And oh, so, yeah. like, listen, Greeks. My people can be quite racist, right? <laughs> However, uh, you don't mess with their Greek Orthodox churches. Then they will start to be like, you know, so she was very upset. Um, and then I talked to her more about the atrocity. She was very upset. And then she started saying, so the Jews are doing this and the Jews are doing that. And right, I was like, right. okay, I need to stop you mm -hmm. because this yeah. is that propaganda that is so deeply harmful. If someone is correctly led to not correctly led to believe, correctly understands the situation of like the 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 absolute atrocities and just horrors that Israel is conducting right now. Yeah. And any any human being is going to feel that, right? Yeah. And then you also fall into the trap of of being surrounded by that Israeli propaganda that tells you right. this is the will of the Jewish people. This is right, this is right. what Jewish freedom and safety is. Right, right. You will be very logically given those facts or you know not facts but seemingly facts, you will be logically led to a absolute a, a conclusion that is anti-semitic. Right. And so like I absolutely agree with you that an ad that that education can only do and can only be like only keep Jewish people safer. Um, I don't want to cut you off, but I'm really interested in what you think that uh, people that aren't Jewish can be doing to help, uh, you know, strengthen your position here. I think that um, any non-Jewish, non-Palestinian person uh, should be just in full solidarity with Palestinians, period, for their liberation. Um so that means BDS, Boycott Divestment Sanctions Movement, BDSMovement.net, and you can find which targeted organizations and companies are being boycotted by BDS. So support BDS, 
follow Palestinian voices on social media and uplift their voices. You definitely don't have to be Jewish to be like saying that Zionism and Judaism aren't the same things. You can you can be non-Jewish and do that. There's Christians who are Christians against Zionism or Christians against Christian Zionism, which is important. First and foremost, uplift Palestinian voices, support Palestinian uh, people, and uh, do what you know to do to stand in solidarity with them. Whether you're Jewish, not Jewish, whatever, it doesn't matter. So <clears throat> just to go back to the... Um... The conflation of the self, the, the, the supposed self-determination of Jews that is enabled by uh, Israel, um, you know, being anti-Semitic itself and how that actually hurts Jewish people in the diaspora um, and also in Israel, let's face it, because um, I've always I've always kind of seen it like this. I've always in, in terms of understanding the way that like Israel communicates to Jewish people everywhere. Um, like I mentioned before that my step family are Jewish, um, my, my Jewish brother's wedding, which was like, uh, fairly, fairly orthodox, but not super orthodox. Um, basically had a Zionist rabbi do the, the, the ceremony. Um, and he used the opportunity because there were pro-Palestinian marches going on at the time in 2021. Um, he used the opportunity at the wedding to say what we're seeing currently at the moment is another reason why Jews are not safe in Europe still. Um, and you know, that fucked me up so hard because I know that if my Jewish family went to Israel as settlers, um, they they do not become civilians, right? Because this is an active occupation. They they are lied to. They're told mm. that it's your right to come here. It's your destiny to come here. If you stay in the diaspora, you'll be assimilated. You you're you're nothing. You have no land underneath your feet, etc. And then they go there and 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 they and they settle. They they're radicalized. They're given weapons. And if they're not radicalized and given weapons, they're still put. And, and housed in places near Gaza and near uh, the West Bank in, in the hopes that their, like, love of Palestinians will, like, um, you know, correct them because then they'll get attacked or or, or, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? By by Hamas or, or you know, the, the, the scary brown people, basically. Um, and to me, that feels, it's always felt as the most dangerous thing for Jewish people. Yeah. Um, just that like manipulation and, uh, 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 you know, then subsequent endangerment, right? Because it is like, if, if you're going to see like, if you're going to see Palestinians as this like scary force to be reckoned with and they're, oh my God, they're going to kill everyone. They're going to kill uh, all the Jewish people in the world. Obviously that's all bollocks, but like, if that's how you see it, and then you're putting like Jewish people in that actual conflict, not as soldiers, but as civilians. Uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. fucked. It, it's extremely dangerous. Yeah, for sure. Zionism uh presents itself as this idea of jewish safety jewish freedom jewish liberation um that's how it's always been it's always presented itself as as that the idea that jews can get free while black folks aren't free native americans aren't free um indigenous people all around the world people of color all around the world people in the global south aren't free. Palestinians aren't free. The idea that anyone could get free and at the expense of other people or even just without other people is fundamentally false. The only way that there's going to be freedom and liberation for Jews is if there's liberation and freedom for Palestinians. That's that's the only way. And for all indigenous and, and people of color, 
and all oppressed people in the world. Um, so, you know, in the Jewish community, there's always been left-wing voices that have always said that our freedom is intertwined and bound up with the freedom of all peoples. So there's no getting free on our own. And Zionism is like, no, we're just going to get free on our own. And we're going to do it at the expense of Palestinians. And at the expense of more than just Palestinians, Black South Africans, people all over the world that Israel ships arms to and weapons mm-hmm. and surveillance and technology and stuff. This like is that. what makes um, Zionism like fundamentally white supremacist, right? It's Absolutely. the idea that um, you as a people can only find quote unquote freedom if you do it on the backs of others. That necessarily you cannot have a simultaneous like com- like universal freedom of all people that necessarily the brown people, the black people, et cetera, need to be lower so you can have your safety and your freedom. Right. I wanted to ask if you know with uh, Jews Against White Supremacy as an org, but you can also answer just for yourself, like what organizations uh, and and like organizers uh, inspire you? Mm. Um, there's so many people that inspire me. Um, I mentioned Ghassan Kanafani before, Palestinian uh, leader of the uh, Popular Front. You know, there's people in the Jewish community. There's Rabbi Lynn Gottlieb. She's been a voice for Palestinian freedom for a long time. And she's rooted in Judaism so much. And 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 she's and she's doing anti-Zionist work and she's been doing it for a long time. She's an inspiration to me. Well, that sounds like that touches on this. Uh, you keep on saying about like Zionism is a inherently opposed to judaism which like i agree i'm just uh, i was curious about your um uh like spiritual understanding of that if that's coming from like a religious and spiritual place yeah it's partly a religious and spiritual like one of the things i learned at standing rock was that the struggle is spiritual and is more than just political material there there is that of course the politics and the material struggle of course, and I'm I'm a socialist. I'm a revolutionary socialist. I think that dialectical materialism is extremely useful as a tool. Um, and there's something spiritual about the struggle as well, which is uh, something I learned at Sandy Rock. And it's something I find as my, my anti-Zionism is rooted in my Judaism, if that makes sense. So well, I, to me, yes. But could you elaborate on it? Um. Mark Edelman, the leader of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, one of the leaders of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, said to be a Jew is to be always with the oppressed, never with the oppressor. It's as simple as that, really. Yeah. And so to so there's something about being Jewish for me personally, that is a moral imperative to always be with the oppressed and never with the oppressor. And that's what causes me to be in solidarity with Palestinians and with any oppressed people anywhere on this planet. But I mean, it's also just because I'm a human being. Not you know, just right. It's not simple, oh. right? Yeah. Throughout all of this, like the more and more I learn about Jewish culture and Judaism, the more I'm like floored at how cool it is. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's yeah. so many, so many incredibly beautiful lessons that I've been learning from, from Jewish people. And like, it's, I'm just blown away over and over and over again. Like, for instance, right now um, in the West Bank, Israel um, 
or at least Israeli settlers and accompanied by the IOF that's making sure they can do it safely, is burning down groves of olive trees planted by Palestinians. Um, and by the way, each of these olive trees, if I remember correctly, takes like, I think like 30 years to start bearing fruits. So yeah, they're yeah. just they're just burning to the ground, not just food, not just livelihood, but like indigenous species, right, yeah. of, of plants and also just like history and labor and just like roots like literal and figurative roots um, was, um yeah i was reading about this just like before the stream actually 1.5 million trees have been uprooted like as part of the you know it's like the the forced kind of desertification of um certain areas like 1.5 yeah. million trees like that's when you think about how that's wild. Long trees live for, and like their history. I mean, this is like the fucking the Maori kind of thing coming out, but you know, it's like, like what, and especially in these areas, like what these trees have like bore witness to over the years. It's like one point five million trees is like, and you know, there's actually in Judaism the religion of Judaism in the Torah, which is the foundation of Judaism. There is a teaching that even in times of war, you should never destroy a fruit tree. Yeah, I was about mm-hmm. to mention. I thought you was... maybe were going to say that, Kira. Yeah. So, like, that's just one example of how Zionism does not follow Judaism, does not correspond with Judaism. They're burning fruit yeah. trees, olive trees are fruit trees, whatever. The point mm-hmm. is, is that, you know, you can go straight back to Jewish religion to find the opposition to mm-hmm. Zionism and the Zionist act. If I might add my commentary, like, at the most fundamental level, right, it's like the story of the... um the guy who asked the more traditionalist rabbi to explain all of Judaism to him while he stands on one leg. Yeah. And the traditionalist was like, no, that's an insult to my culture. Mm. And then he asked Hillel and Hillel yeah. said, uh, if if something is hateful to you, then don't do it to someone else. Yeah. The rest is all commentary. And it's like, right. when, when, the, when the Zionist project keeps on evoking genocide to explain why it should exist and then does genocide, right. it's just the, the most basic... Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no. Um, just yeah, yeah. The just to just quickly circle back. Um, the uh, the thing that you mentioned about the fruit trees, um, and how it's against Judaism in the Torah to to destroy them, and the lesson that I that somebody on on Blue Sky um told me this, and they, um they said as an alumnic, I am forced to point out that this act of burning down the olive trees is always explicitly contrary to Jewish law and practice in the world over. This is in the Torah. Jews are not allowed to destroy fruit trees or any other natural resource that is of universal benefit to humankind. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not just like something in script, something that says like, don't do this. Right. It's just yeah. like, it's a really an incredible lesson of basically communism, basically just being like, these are public goods. They're from the earth. Don't destroy them because you're destroying the community's ability to thrive together right? Um, like for the public good. And I just thought that it's just, there's so many cool lessons I've been learning lately. It's been really yeah, beautiful. That's awesome. I'm glad you're finding beauty and wisdom in it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, no religion is perfect. Judaism has its problematic aspects. Uh, the Torah has problematic aspects to it for sure. Um, and um yeah, so like I I don't personally find like oh if the scripture says it then it's it's the way to go a hundred percent and if it and like whatever I think it's a it's a valuable um, and important spiritual resource and religious resource but um, you know it's not like 
yeah, there's definitely still some problematic things in the Torah, in the Bible. Um, but yeah, the core of it, um, like you said, Sophie, the core of it is like that Hillel teaching that what's hateful right. to you don't do unto others. That's the core of every major religion, Christianity, Islam, um, the Baha'i faith, Buddhism, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they all are based upon that golden rule, if you will. Um, and yeah, it's, it's something, uh, something simple about being human that that golden hmm. rule is surely, a, even if you're not religious, spiritual, whatever, you know, live by that rule. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you mentioned, um, earlier when we were talking about the, um, you know, thoroughly mentioned rise in anti-Semitism as a, as a relation to pro-Palestinian protests growing in popularity um, and how you don't feel any less safe, uh, you know, as a result of this, um, you know, because it's interesting to see what things that uh, Israel likes to talk about in terms of uh, anti-Semitism. And, uh, you know, there were in 2017, there were a bunch of Nazis, like actual Nazis, actual neo-Nazis, self-described, uh, 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 you know, white supremacist people marching through a park in Charlottesville saying Jews shall not replace us. Um, and this is, you know, a widely known issue, uh, you know, in terms of like, you know, what, what it's, it's a widely known event, it, you know, not only did it, did it kill people, but it also, uh, you know, was commented on by then president, uh, Donald J Trump, um, right. on, on how those people were very fine people. Right. And, um, in, in terms of fighting fascism in general, what is uh, 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 Jews against white supremacy sort of like thinking about in terms of like stuff, you know, not related to the Palestinian conflict, like stuff related yeah. to like actual, you know, anti-Semitic fascism, conspiracy theories, anti-vaxxer stuff. Uh, yeah. That's a great question. I mean, it's all connected, right? So I feel like um, our fight against Zionism is our fight against white supremacy and vice versa. Jews against white supremacy really is a global thing now. But just for like in Turtle Island or America, the United States, like um, or in Europe and uh, there, you know, the rise in white supremacy goes hand in hand with the rise in anti-Semitism, because like I said before, anti-Semitism is a part of white supremacy. Um, so, yeah, like the Trumps and the marchers in Charlottesville, you know, those are a threat, an actual threat to Jewish people. Although even they are on their last leg, in my opinion, and they're going to fall soon. And I'm not really too worried about them either. They're they're going. Hell yeah. As Woody Guthrie said, all you fascists are bound to lose. So it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's uh, it's really nice to hear that because, yeah, I fundamentally believe it, too. Um, in, in some of the marches in uh, Manchester, where I'm based in the UK, um, there have been people who've been worried about anti-vaxxers. Uh, sort of like you know yeah. clutching on to the to the right. protest and right. stuff like right. that um, yeah. and that's kind of been my mm -hmm. answer as well like the the thing is with fascists is that they don't understand solidarity right and they um can mobilize things mm. but it really takes quite a lot of mobilization in order to get yeah. there and and for example now the, in fact i think like the the um the sort of like support that the white supremacist West is giving Israel mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. is now like a very um, sort of like, I guess it's obviously it's not funny in general, but it's funny to see how fascists are responding to it because lots of like, you know, fascists who like, of course they hate Jews as right. much as they hate brown people, you know, or anyone who's not white. And they love Zionism. Right, exactly. This and they, is it. And they hate Jews and love Zionism for the same reason. Yes. And, and yes. they hate people of color and love Zionism for the same reason. Um, as soon as they find the wrong type of Jew, an anti-Zionist, anti-white supremacist, anti-capitalist Jew, then that's when you're going to see their true colors. Right. You're absolutely right. The In terms of the mobilization and how they can like try and like uh, gain clout from this, gain clout in terms of like their own organizations and how they feel about this in particular, um, I think number one, they're a bit scared of how popular pro-Palestinian protests are and how massive they are and how this is like a huge, huge, huge uh, movement that that is uh, exponentially growing, actually. Um, And then also that is like attached to the fact that, um, again, they are like fundamentally like you know they they, they want to support zionism so they're scared to 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 publicly do this right. um and also maybe they don't care about it that much as well oh. they're like eh, whatever you know we'd rather just attack so there's different right there's different like varying degrees of how white supremacists ha- are respond to zionism and to everything that's going on and um yeah most white supremacists are just like pro-zionist pretty simple for them uh but there are examples it's not common but it does happen of neo-nazis trying to infiltrate pro-palestine movements um and so that's why i was talking before about getting clarity on like the difference between judaism and zionism the difference between anti-zionism and anti-semitism when we are educated and have clarity about that then it's much easier for people to tell nazis to fuck off from palestinian marches or palestinian whatever if they're trying to infiltrate it's also it's also good for preventing people from trying to shame you out of supporting Palestinians because you don't want to hurt Jewish people with your anti your so called anti semitism which right. a lot of us have been experiencing a lot of that pressure from from people. Sure. Yeah, and I think that um, Palestinians in general have a much have a extremely sharp analysis of anti semitism and know the difference between actual anti semitism and anti Zionism. Like for example, at the most recent. At the DC march, there was a anti-Zionist, anti-fascist Jewish Muslim contingent that met during the um, DC march. So like that type of solidarity and building that type of solidarity is what we can do to kind of like push back against those rare instances where a white supremacist or a fascist is trying to infiltrate pro-Palestine movements. And, you know, it has happened that people hide behind this quote-unquote anti-Zionism that they are actually anti-Semites and they're they hate Jews and whatever and they're just using this as a cover and so we do have to be on guard against that it's not common to be honest I don't think it's the average I think the average white supremacist is just pro-Zionist and like pro-Israel but Mm -hmm. um it it can happen and so if we have clarity and are educated about it we can deal with it better and we can tell those fascists to go away Mm-hmm. You know, there's definitely them. influencers that are um, one in particular um, who that I'm thinking of right now, who um, is using Palestinians like the genocide against Palestinians as a launching off point to like help sanitize their fascism. 
um, because they're like very much a fascist, very much a racist, very much a transphobic sexist. Um, But now they're doing a lot of um, look how, you know, evil Israel is. And I would still, you know, I'm not going to call them an anti-Zionist, honestly. Like, I'm not going to call them that. So what does that leave them? You know, I'm not going to name names, but I think everyone, a lot of people know what I'm talking about. I think we all know. I see like tweets or things from maybe it's the same person, but it's like, a guy, a white guy with an American flag in his in his profile. And then, yeah, it's the same person. Look how evil Israel is. They're bombing everyone. And it's like, yes. And you either support settler colonialism or you don't. <laughs> right. You're trying to be this. I think he yeah. calls himself MAGA communist or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. The wild thing is, it's like the like America has so much to do with it. Like that American flag has so much to yeah. do with the and situation. And that, that like, American flag represents all the things that the Israeli flag represents too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, it's such a hypocritical position to be pro America yeah. and then anti Israel or anti Zionist. You got to be consistent mm-hmm. against yeah. settler colonialism and all forms of colonialism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I, um, can I ask you a question? Um, because you've said anti-Semitism is white supremacy. Yeah. So you also say that Israel is white supremacy. And so some people would like to say that Israel can't be white supremacy because Jewish people are victims of white supremacy and therefore cannot do white supremacy. Do you have any comments on that? First of all, I would say there's white Jews and black Jews and Jews of every different color. Yeah. And Ethiopian Jews are uh, refused entry to Israel all the time. And we're forcibly sterilized by Israel as well. Absolutely. So Zionism began as a white movement, white Jewish colonial movement. It was backed mostly by the imperialist powers and Christian Zionists for their uh, eschatological end times uh, fanatical beliefs and whatnot. It's always been an imperial project. It's always been a white supremacist project. Really, any supremacist project is a white supremacist project in a kind of, in a reality where white supremacy and colonialism are the systems that we live in, the systems that historically have shaped so much of the world. You know, the Zionists always got their inspiration and their colonial ambitions and colonial uh practices they always patterned it on western imperialist colonialism it doesn't matter that there are a somewhat significant portion of israelis who are don't have white skin the fact that there's supremacy uh of based on ethnicity and apartheid uh right racial apartheid and racial capitalism, which is all part of it, that fact alone is white supremacy, right? So um, that's what I would say to that. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great answer. I forgot to mention one part of my journey as well, because I know you guys are communist uh, show. So I was part of the ISO, the International Socialist Organization. Um, That I joined in 2017. And I was active for like a year. So I, mm. I definitely um, studied my Marx and Lenin <laughs> during that time. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm also bisexual. I like that. 
Um, we I just saw Mule. Oh, oh I was making... just showing. I was showing the chat because chat were asking like, "What does it say on your sign?" Yes, this bisexual stands with Palestine. We were making fun of uh, anyone listening on the podcast. That was the it context. That sexual so... above Mule's head the whole time and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you uh, can't read the stands with part, which makes it look like this bisexual Palestine, and I find that the. That's the, well, the real look, you know two-state what? solution. Listen, I'm not, listen, I'm not, uh, you know, making a placard so that everyone on the internet goes, wow, look how good that is. You know, it's for a protest. And what it does, you're doing great. What it does at protests is it makes people squint and go, what does that say? Ah, and they get close enough to you. You pull them in and you tell them the the good news about I pull them in and I tell them about an affinity group uh, action that's going on after the protest. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, it makes me think about, you know, one of the aspects of Zionist colonialism being pinkwashing, which we haven't talked about. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah, go for it, Michael. All sorts of, right, pinkwashing, greenwashing, or this kind of, this idea that we just talked about of like, oh, Jews can't uh, be white supremacists because they're Jews, they're victims. It's kind of like this, uh, for lack of a better term, Jew washing. Uh, But like, it all goes back to the very beginnings of Zionism, where Theodore Herzl said that the Jewish state in 1897, he wrote this, the Jewish state would be a bulwark of civilization as against barbarism, right? That's the entire crux of Zionist colonialism. And that's why the imperialists in the West love it, because it's a quote unquote, little outpost, little bulwark uh, of quote unquote, civilization which is what what is really civilization? It's white supremacy, um, as opposed to the quote unquote barbarism of the third world or the global south. And so um, the the idea, whenever there's pinkwashing or greenwashing or any type of washing that the Zionists try to do, it's um, it all goes back to this idea of the civilized versus the barbaric. And civilization, which holds, for example, LGBTQ rights in high regard versus those backwards savages who would kill you if they knew you were bisexual, blah, 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 blah. That's what they that's what, you know, they try and say, like, um, BS like that. Maybe you have had some kind of experience like this um, being Jewish yourself, uh, Michael. Uh, I'm not Jewish, but like I said, my stepfamily are. Uh, and my older stepbrother has said repeatedly to me, um, go and try and be queer in Gaza. Right. You know, go and try and be queer in the West Bank, et cetera, et cetera. And that was actually what led me to, to block him finally, yeah. because I was it's sick of It's almost a kind shit. of threat. It's a kind of a threat that they, they do. And there's a common threat in Israel of go to Gaza if you care about yes. so much or something like that. Or uh, go try being a Jew in Gaza. They say that to me. Go try being bisexual in Gaza, whatever. Anything that they'll use like that. Um, you know yeah. what? I get it as a woman here in America. If I'm complaining yeah, about sexism, sure. I'm told to go to right. Saudi Arabia because right. that's where it gets, it's really bad. You you should be thankful that you're here, not in Saudi Arabia. It's this continued um, interesting direction right. pointing into a region. This is what I would call intersectional imperialism. <laughs> <laughs>
I had a friend in um, in uh, Berlin, um, a tattoo artist, that received these threats after posting about solidarity with um, Palestine that were basically like, you know, like, how dare you as like a queer trans person support Hamas? Like they would, you know, like they would beat the shit out of you. Um, basically being like, so basically I'm going to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> it's kind of like, man, right, well, exactly. like, exactly. it's like, so what, they, they do the thing that you want to do? People will say threats. They'll say threats. They'll use Hamas, for example. Mm. And they'll say like, oh, um, I had someone threaten my, my niece because they were like, saw my Facebook picture with my, me and my niece who's like one year old and like a threat of like oh uh you know if if Hamas got hold of your niece something like that and it's like that is a white supremacist threat you like yeah. the person saying that is threatening me and my family mm-hmm. um and they're using Hamas as a boogeyman to do it but they're threatening me so it's like this is the type of depravity of kind of Zionists and their uh supporters whether they're mm. white and like many of them are like white quote-unquote christian people who are saying mm. this to me as a jew things like i know that. i know Ooh, i know this horrible <laughs> i know this might um trigger a, a little bit of uh you know annoyance for some people i'm gonna ask you a question about hamas in a bit it's not that one um, but <laughs> i'm gonna ask you a bit about hamas in a bit but i want to finish on this on this uh pink washing thing because i saw um, an absolutely wonderful interview with a, this beautiful Palestinian gay man um, who's like a dancer in the West Bank and, and you know, just like that existence of like, you know, living in a, a society that like, um, you know, needs to work on its queer phobia for sure. It's not, you know, the best, um, but also is on the other end of this, uh, you know, pink washing and saying sort of things like, uh, look, while I know that Palestinian queer rights are not great, I'm far more at risk of being killed by a fucking Israeli settler. I'm right. far more at risk of being shot, um, uh, you know, by someone who's just been given a gun and radicalized, uh, 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 you know, from, from the other side. And um, also, like, you know, anyone who wants to use that argument as some kind of an excuse for genocide, uh, you know, look, like, yeah, I understand that we... Uh, 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 have our issues. I understand that Palestinian society is not great with queer rights and stuff like that. Um, and he didn't say this, but this is just me adding this, but like, you know, this does come from that line of imperialist intersectionality that you mentioned where it's like, we're going to liberate these scary savages, you know what I mean? We're going to help them understand queerness and stuff like that. So they hear these messages, you know, the oppressed hear these messages as well as the oppressors. And of course, if they're going to become reactionaries against queers, that is a huge reason, right? That is a huge reason. Um, But, you know, on top of that, his final message was, this is a thing for Palestinians to sort out. It's a thing thing for Palestinian society and Palestinian queer people to to sort out. It is not for people to make an excuse for genocide for. Absolutely. It's not to make an excuse for genocide. And it's even more insidious than that because it all is about this, we're the civilized West and you're the barbaric savages. It's so funny how they're like, you know, like, oh, man, they, you know, they have, like, socially regressive views, so we should be okay with, like, them getting bombed. It's like, okay, well, then, like, I mean, are we just going to, like, bomb America, too? Right, right! (laughs) Exactly. Like, the people who say, who insist, oh, go see how Hamas will treat you if if you're queer, 
those are the same people who treat queer people terribly here. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And that's like yes. exactly what happened with a friend of mine. And uh, I would also, I was going to say that, um, you know, Palestinians don't have to prove their humanity to anyone. Mm. They don't have to prove that they're like, you know, worthy of not facing genocide by yeah. whatever, whatever the Palestinian society's issues are that they are working with or they're struggling with. There's, um, you know, I would encourage anyone who's to follow, uh, I think it's called Al-Adwa. It's a Palestinian queer organization. Mm. Um, there you go. It's uh, definitely worth following them. Yeah. And um, I, I have seen like, I've seen a bunch of queer Palestinian people speak up and they're just like, yeah, like, I mean, it's hard to live in, you know, Gaza as an openly queer person, but it's like, you know, like that doesn't mean it's, you know, it it's not beautiful as well. And it doesn't have all these things. And it's like, it's hard to live as an openly queer people a lot, you know, any, anywhere in the world at the moment, you know, like so many places. And it's just like this ridiculous argument. But yeah, and it's like, there are, there are well-known Palestinian artists, musicians, dancers, everything that are openly queer. And, you know, like it's, it's like people have this idea that like, oh, okay, you know, you like you, if you're openly queer in Gaza, they're going to, you know, like you just instantly get, you know, like taken out and shot or something like that. Or it's just like, no, like, I mean, nothing is that simple. Yeah. It's actually called Al Cause. The, the, the group that I'm talking about is Al Cause. A-L-U-A-W-S. I'll cause for sexual and gender diversity in Palestinian society. You can see their website. Yeah. Like you see, um, there's that musician, um, Bashar Murad, who, um, he was the one that I'm not sure if anyone remembers the, um, the Eurovision controversy a few years back where it was like, um, that group, uh, the Icelandic group, Hatari. They flew to, um, yeah, to Tel Aviv to perform at, you know, Eurovision and people were like, oh, you know, like, don't do that. And they were like, oh, you know, like, we're going to go, but we're going to, you know, we're going to make our politics known sort of thing. And they, um, I think they had like Palestinian flags on stage or something and they got yeah, like yeah. booed and cut off and all this kind of stuff. But then they released afterwards, after they flew out, they um had like snuck out into the desert and filmed a music video with um, Bashar Murad in the, you know, in, on occupied Palestinian territory and stuff which was um, awesome to see because they're like an openly queer kind of like, like people always don't know what to call them. They're like, they're the neo-Posadist bondage band. (laughs) But um, a lot of their, a lot of their imagery and stuff is focused around authoritarianism and um, you know, like they use like these kind of BDSM kind of motives as like a commentary on um, authoritarianism. So they were, you know, like um, it's very much in line with, what they were saying and stuff and it's like man like this you know this culture these artists it does they do exist there it's obviously regressive it's obviously shit they obviously get mistreated and all that kind of stuff but we can like we can have the discussion about regressive social views and all that kind of stuff after after the genocide ends right like you know it's like the most the most pressing the most pressing threat to queer palestinians at the moment is airstrikes and idf soldiers and tanks and things like that you know like we can uh we can we can work on the other stuff afterwards um so the the time has come for the hamas question so i want to i want to ask you specifically like well, well first of all um 
Well, actually, no. I'll just I'll just ask it to you. So, like, Michael, how... how will you destroy Hamas? <laughs> no. <laughs> if, so, in terms of Hamas, um, the big thing that everybody speaks about, specifically the Hasbara. For those of you that don't know what the Hasbara is, it's the, yeah. the communication from Israel, the, the propaganda ministry. The communication is is that Hamas wants to exterminate Jews right. everywhere. Right. Right. Now. The thing is, and I don't know if you know this, Michael, but you can access the Hamas charter, yeah. the Hamas charters online. There's two of them, actually. There was mm -hmm. one, um, I think, in 1989 when it first 89? was created. I might be wrong and about 2017. that. 2017. Yes, and there was another in 2017. Now, the right. one, now, arguably, the one in 2017 is more progressive, right? Sure. Despite them being re reactionary, uh, definitely, like, sort of, um, they do have, like, a, 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 I think, aims that, that go alongside sort of, like, having Sharia law and stuff like this. Um, I'm not certain about that kind of stuff, but what I am certain of is that a lot of the things that people say in terms of, like, you know, they want to eradicate Jews everywhere, um, it's actually not mentioned in the charters, like, both charters, that they want to do that. It's actually mentioned... Uh, they do talk about their struggle with the Jews. That's right. definitely the wording that they use. Um, but really, all they want is um, they want a Palestinian state. That's what they want. They, and when they say the eradication of Israel, that's what they mean. They mean the eradication of Israel, the state. And in fact, in the and that's in the older charter. And in the newest charter, they actually say... It is our, um, you know, it's our ultimate plans to have Palestine uh, in its entirety. Um, but there is um, some other word in there that also says we want a peaceful state where people can coexist together. Sure. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? And what are your thoughts about the sort of, um, the, the, the well, the, there are so many lies about Hamas, but what are your thoughts in general about this sort of like weaponization uh, yeah. designed to strike fear into the heart of Jewish people about Hamas? Right. So first of all, the idea that Hamas wants to kill every Jew in the world is absolutely false. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's first and foremost. It's not true. The second thing I would say is that their 2017 charter is actually like I've read parts of it. And, um, you know, they made great improvements from the 1987 charter to the 2017 charter. Um, for example, in the 2017 charter, they say our fight is not against Jews as Jews, but it's against Zionists. So that's mm. very important. That's something that they didn't clarify in their 1987 charter. So it's good that they did that. However, I would even argue that it's really not. They said in 1987, yeah, it's our struggle against the Jews. They didn't say the Zionists in 1987. They said the Jews. But you know what? I'm Jewish, and I hear Jewish people all the time talk about what the Germans did to us, not the Nazis, but what the Germans did, or right. the Russians, not necessarily Stalinists or whatever. The point is, is that they talk about what, you know, they say the Germans did this to us, and they mean the Nazis. So for a Palestinian to say the Jews, and they mean the Zionists, it doesn't necessarily mean they're being anti-Semitic. And especially with Israel and Zionism claiming the conflation between Judaism and Zionism and the Jewish people with the Zionist state, you know, especially with that, you can only, it's a, some people are going to say the Jews when they mean Zionists, but it's good that Hamas put out in 2017, their new charter. I think it has m much more progressive language. I, the general feeling I have is that nobody gets to tell colonized people how to resist or how to fight for their freedom, period. Right. So, you know. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, I heard, uh, I read an article and it's from ages ago and for the life of me i can't remember the name of the author 
uh, but he was a Jewish guy and he was talking about his friend Jakob, uh, mm-hmm. who was originally just, um, you know, a, a Jewish guy from Brooklyn, whatever. And oh, no, sorry. No, he wasn't even Jewish. No, he was German. And then he, he converted to, to Judaism and he changed his name. He became like uh, pretty orthodox um, and, uh, and a Zionist. Um, and he was talking specifically about when he himself as a more progressive left-wing Jewish person, mm-hmm. um, you know, was thinking about this, this language that people use in, in Palestine, you know, Gaza and, and, and the West Bank and stuff like this about like, you know, Jews and what the Jews are doing and stuff like this. And he was talking about like how, I think that, I think the, the line is something along the lines of how can I, uh, 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 you know, attack them for, for, for saying things like this when they're coming to see the star of David, that's on the flags of all the right, tanks right. that are bombing them in the same way that we saw the swastika, right? Right, right. exactly. It's Zionism that conflates Jewish people with the Zionist state. Inevitably, some people are going to not not separate in their minds between Zionists and Jews or Zionism and Judaism. Um, and for many Palestinians, the only thing they know of Jews or contact is with soldiers and agents of the state right. and oppressors. So if even in the West with my access to like internet and constant electricity and not like living in open air prison for most of my life, I was led to believe that Israel equals Jews. Yeah. Right. So like, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Like the, the access to information alone and like who, like what Mule is saying, like waving a flag with this, with the star of David on it. Like it's, it makes it extremely understandable that, a group would be like, these are the Jews. They're telling me they're, this is all the Jewish people, what all Jewish people want. They're, they keep showing me that they're Jewish over and over and over again, um, which is, again, why Zionism is anti-Semitic. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. So uh, we're getting super, super close. This has been a great episode, by the way. Thanks so much, Michael, again, for coming on. Um, so glad to be here. Thank you. We're coming up to question time. So is there anything else that the hosts want to uh, ask Michael real quick before we go into that? No, I think we can. Uh, we got a lot of questions, questions anyway. So yeah, yeah, we got quite a few. All right, uh, Crimson Tinted asks: As a veteran of multiple direct actions, how do you balance and wield your personal privileges in service of your causes without burning yourself out or speaking over our comrades for which we're advocating? Mm. I think there is also in the Palestine movement there is a kind of privilege that Jewish anti-Zionists get where when people start like um, learning about anti-Zionism or something, then they're like, whoa, what do the Jewish anti-Zionists have to say? And like, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, first and foremost, listen to the Palestinians. First and foremost, it's their voices that need to be amplified. Um, You know, the idea that a Jewish anti-Zionist is more representative of like, I don't know, like, authority versus a Palestinian is problematic in itself and is just another example of a kind of supremacy operating. Um, I've never heard this perspective before. Thank you for sharing it because that's very valuable to know. Yeah. For me, I learned that lesson. I didn't even necessarily have anyone teach me that lesson, but I learned that lesson because this one time it was actually at a, a socialist organization thing where somebody was a Palestinian man was talking about Palestine and Zionism and all this stuff. And I remember I stood up and I said, you know, the idea that 
I said one of the fallacies of Zionism is that is that uh, that Zionists claim that uh, the creation of the state of Israel was Jewish liberation, and the idea that kicking out seven hundred fifty thousand people from their homes is Jewish liberation is insulting to me. And although I realize, yes, that's true, that's valid. However, it's like, okay, take that up with your Jewish community. Don't, you know, why are you speaking? Why are you bringing this up in this forum? That's what I realized. So I realized like, okay, I have to be conscientious of my privilege in these spaces. Uh, I have white privilege as a white Jew. Um, I have male privilege or uh, masculine privilege. And, um, you know, how do I utilize those to not take up too much space and, and speak over people who should be, whose voices should be amplified? You know, that's just something I try to keep in mind. It's really interesting, uh, the example you brought up, um, because when people give you more attention, yeah, white supremacy, but also there is the other flip side, white supremacy to it, in that you are being tokenized as the Jewish person. And that once your opinions become not in line with what one wants of you, all of a sudden now you're no longer needed. So it's one of the fun little flipperoos. Okay, uh, the next one we got is from Sticky Monkey Flowers. Uh, and Sticky Monkey Flowers says, uh, Q, I had a crush on my Jewish neighbor, but then I found out that the Zionist, uh, they say they used to want a free Palestine until they found out more. They say Jewish Voice for Peace is anti-Semitic, etc. Should I engage with them and how? I'm a white trans woman who was raised in Scientology and got out, so I do understand how programming and stuff like that works. Right. It's a good question. Honestly, I don't know the answer because, you know, it's a fine line between there's some people who identify as Zionists and I could like have a conversation with them and argue with them. And I would think, okay, maybe something could come out of this discussion because it's like there's people I know who would like post the Israeli flag. And then I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Like, you know, you know, why are you supporting the apartheid state? And we have a discussion and maybe I can change their mind a little bit. But then there's other people who it's like, do not even engage. It's not worth it. And to be honest, I don't know always how to tell the difference um, between the people who could be pulled to the left, who could be reasoned with, and they're out there. But I, you know, it's hard to sometimes say in general, I would say people who are flying the Israeli flag, who are saying that Jewish Voice for Peace is anti-Semitic, things like this, it's probably not worth engaging them. It's probably not worth trying to change their mind. Um, you know, that that's what I would probably do. If they're like somebody who's like on the fence or like they're not really sure, then yeah, then like engaging with them is, is definitely, you know, worth yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like there's a thing as well where it's like, in times of, I guess, like more relative peace, it's easier to kind of just chip away at people and be like, you know, just like show them over time, be like, hey, maybe, you know, what you're exposed to is like propaganda or this kind of stuff like that. But man, like at the moment, I feel like if people aren't aware of what's going on, if they don't see what's happening, it's like, how do you how do you show them? You know, it's like, it's it's or is it worth your energy when you could be explaining that and doing something far more productive with your time yeah for sure yeah i know it's like because it's hard not to just like scream at them right it's hard it's hard not to like see every single 
like Zionist talking point I see on Facebook and then like respond with like a whole argument. But I realized like I just need to like mute some people and just not listen to them anymore. You have to walk that line and find that balance. You do really kind of have to like pick your battles with um, stuff like this and like figure out where your energy is best going to be spent. You know, it's like the time that you spend just, you know, like doing that kind of stuff could be time that you spend with people that, you know, like actually organizing towards something that is a little bit more, um, a little bit more tangible. But I'm sorry, thank you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say in the question, um, I know that Sticky Monkey Flower said that their neighbors said they used to want a free Palestine and like, I don't think they ever did. I don't think someone can actually genuinely <laughs> align themselves and understand Palestinian liber like right. what Palestinian yeah, struggle absolutely. and liberation is genuinely want a free Palestine and then go, you know what? Never mind. I actually love genocide. Yeah, yeah. British British listeners will know this one well. Um it sounds like I used to be a Labour voter, but it reminds me of people who say things like, I'm pro Palestine, I'm just anti Hamas. Or right. like, I'm pro-Palestine, and I want a free Palestine. We just need to eradicate Hamas first or mm. something like that. Actively supporting genocide and supporting, supporting apartheid. Yeah. But saying, like, yeah, I want I want a free Palestine. And then, like, but you don't. We actually have, like, a lot of, like, a really similar discussion that um, happens down here in relation to a lot of... Um, uh maori gangs that are, people will be like oh you know like i love these communities but like we just need to eradicate all the gangs that you know infest these communities and it's like you don't understand that it's like every every like scary gang member or whatever like that is like is a member of that community like it's like they're a product of that environment and they are linked to it you know it's like if you you know, if you go into a small town where there is a lot of like gang activity and if you arrested all the gang members or whatever like that, like half the town wouldn't be there for work the next day because it's like mm. they are the community as well. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. The idea that, um, you know, like any kind of like whether it's like Hamas or, yeah. or like Black Power or anything like that are like the separate parasite yeah. on the edge of a community as opposed to being, Always, like, yeah. you know, part of it is, yeah. It's, I think I can offer like a, a little bit of um, insight into this uh, because uh, two members of my Jewish step family, including their wives, um, have have messaged me after seeing all the things that I posted about what's going on in Gaza and uh, all this stuff, and you know, calling me basically, basically, I've been disowned essentially for for all intents and purposes. It was pretty traumatic to go through some of the things that they said to me. The one of them that I thought I would probably have the most, um, I don't know, clout with, I guess, like step stepsister clout, I guess. Um, I got back to her and I just said, you know, Lizzie, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean to hurt you with any of the things that I've said. Um, it really upsets me that like you've you've reacted really badly and you, you feel like you've been blindsided by my opinions and, and whatnot. Um, I guess all I can really say is that, like, I hope you know from the quality of my character and the fact that I've been to your weddings, I've danced the horror with you, I've done all this stuff, you know, you know that I'm not anti-Semitic, I don't hate Jews. Um, does not, and, and then also, you know, said to her as well, like, if you want to, like, have, like, a conversation on top of this where, like, you want to clarify some of my opinions and some of the things that I've said that you don't quite understand or that you think are hateful, I'm happy to do that, yeah. right? And wow. I think that's the best thing you can do. That's very noble of you and generous but i think that i think that like if it's just someone you want to bang 
you're going to find loads of other people that you could bang who are super hot and they're way the more because they're anti-Zionists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> The next question is from Anarchic Alex and says, uh, governments in Europe have banned pro-Palestine much as UK, UK Home Secretary has talked about banning pal- Palestinian flag and the UK has banned councils from having BDS policies. How best can we overcome this hostile environment of protest and the attempt to smear us all as hateful anti-Semites? Great question. Um, you know, I, I don't know the answer of how best to counter that, but I I mean, it's just an example of where the line is drawn in so-called free societies um, in Western states of where uh, they say that freedom of speech is a bedrock foundation of, let's say, United States or the UK or whatever. Uh, But um, anything that actually threatens their power in a fundamental way uh, is going to be shut down and considered beyond the pale um so that's what they're doing or that's why they're doing it right in the uk and in europe um but how do we push back against that um you know honestly i just think you just reiterate that um anti-zionism does not equal anti-semitism and you know keep um yeah, just keep pushing. I, I honestly, I don't know it. I mean, I wish I could say like, I know how to, you know, go after the British government for their bullshit, but I, I don't know exactly how to do that. But just keep pushing, keep supporting BDS, no matter what they say, no yeah. matter what they do, keep protesting, keep flying the Palestinian flag. Um, Do it with Palestinians, do it with Jewish comrades that are there do it together and just keep pushing. I mean, Britain is an interesting case because of all the anti-protest laws that the Tory government has pushed through already and intends to keep on pushing through. Right. Uh, right. The the next government has no plans to change this. Um, and so realistically, there's not like a, an immediate outcome within the institutions of power where we're like suddenly given back our right to protest. And that's just not really how the state works anyway. Like you don't, you just don't really have like we've given the police these powers that they can use if they think it's good, uh, right. and we're going to take those powers away again. Like the state will always give police more powers, and they'll never take them away again. But on the other hand, like for, you know, uh, half a million people showed up to uh, show solidarity to Palestine yeah. uh, a couple weekends ago, uh, uh, or is it last weekend? There's a huge one planned for next weekend. TFL in London is shutting down parts of six tube lines and fully shutting down four of them um, for the day because the protest is going to be so large and they're going to be that overwhelmed uh, or they're anticipating it being that large. And I I just think, yeah, like when you're saying just keep pushing, like it's really worth, um, you know, talking a little about about the technicality, like this kind of the, the details of that. It's like our right to protest exists as much as we exercise it. And this was always true. But it's especially true as they bring in anti-protest measures. And realistically, the only point at which there is like a government in power that is supportive of the people's right to protest and views it as democratic voice um, is if it's a people's government that has that has taken power. Um, and, uh, you know, from from now until then, governments are only going to 
give police more powers or let them have the ones they have they're not they're not gonna give us back the rights to protest and i would just say like all the reactionary forces that are going to try to block protests block free speech block the flying of palestinian flags like they're they might seem like they have all the power but like they're so weak and so scared like don't be discouraged by that like they're gonna throw everything they have at trying to shut down solidarity Mm, but mm. they're not gonna win we're gonna win yeah um while we're on britain quickly there's something in in the chat that i'll just quickly answer which is what is the overlap of zionists and turfs in the uk um and like uh yeah speaking as a trans woman in the uk uh it's huge um all of the all of the turfs love israel they they all want to support israel they all understand uh support for palestine as a wacky leftist hard left corbinite position that like the, the trans people support and all of this um there was a lot of um so like posy parker the the nazi barbie has been um has been palling up to as many Zionists as possible, and they've been expressing their gratitude in return. This is no surprise because she's funded by CPAC, and CPAC loves Israel. Um, J.K. Rowling's been big with the, with yeah. uh, I mean, even literally just like the Israeli government propaganda machine has been like using Rowling as a platform to launch off of because they know that she's a politically engaged uh, person with like 14 million followers. Putin did yeah. the same thing by uh, by provoking her into refuting. Uh, a, a, like a solidarity with her that he expressed um, but it was just really you know get, tricking her to, into giving him more attention and Israel's done the same thing only she's sympathetic to them um, there was a little bit of a so so um, uh, a group of anti-Zionist Jews actually got together many of them were queer and, queer and trans uh, to pray for Palestine in King's Cross and, sh- uh, and yeah. shut things down in King's Cross. And the Met Police came in and started arresting them. Right, uh, just right. you know, just just one of many scenes of like Jews being arrested for prayer uh, because they're anti-Zionist. Uh, earlier today, there was an old woman whose family were killed in in the Holocaust who was arrested by the Met Police outside Highbury and Islington Station. Um, right. But what I was going to say was um, one of these one of these anti-Zionist Jews in King's Cross had a um, trans flag kipper and yeah. a hoodie that said mm. punch a tough and um what did it say uh, it said punch a tough oh okay um uh in yiddish and the uh, um i think i saw a picture and of the, yeah and the um and the tufts were looking at this um uh gentile tufts of course um and saying we put this through google translate and that's not even a real hebrew phrase it just comes out <laughs> as gibberish so that's they're not even real jews and I, I just, uh, I thought nothing really encapsulated the the way in which they're cynically politically aligning themselves together, right. Israel and and and, and transphobia. Uh, than that, really, just um, right. a bunch of a bunch of genteel uh, toughs uh, well, getting together. The the reactionaries want their Jews to be white colonizers. If they are Zionists in that sense then they're going to accept them and say, yeah, we support Jews. Yeah, we support Israel. But as soon as Jews turn against the state and turn against white supremacy and all forms of oppression, then watch those same people come with the most vitriolic anti-Semitism. Absolutely. Anti-Jewish behavior uh, because they're the quote unquote wrong type of Jews who are supporting Palestine, who are supporting trans rights, who are supporting freedom for everyone. Those are the wrong type of Jews, according to the colonizer. But if you are the right type of uh, 
you know, colonial mindset, then they'll, you know, support Israel and they'll support you. But no, that's one of Ben Shapiro's favorites, isn't it? You, you, you're not the right, you know, yeah. Bad and bad <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, um, um, the turfs down here are pretty much lined up like for, you know, like even the ones that I think were like solely single issue turfs, you know, people that were like completely like politically unaligned aside from caring about turf shit are all like just going absolutely deranged and um yeah joining the kind of yeah joining the zionist cause but one of the one particularly wild thing is one of our biggest like kind of turf commentators who's like a journalist she used to be all over newspaper tv and stuff but she's kind of like gone off the deep end you know she's not as big anymore but she put out she did a tweet that was something like it was like the palestinian flag is like a combination of the nazi flag the kkk flag and a pride flag all rolled into one and it's just like what the fuck? and there was like all these like other terms complaining saying other stuff like oh yeah and put this flag and put the ukrainian flag in there too and all this stuff and it's just like you people are like like what is going on like how does your brain work like <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's just like this is you know this is yeah this is a, a glimpse into the the average turf brain you know. <laughs> anyway. um, yeah, the next question we got uh, we got speaking Huskadu. of Yiddish. Yeah, speaking of Yiddish, Huskadu says as another anti-Zionist Jew who hasn't been able to chat much today, I like to use Yiddish to insult Zionists who tell me I'm self-hating. Uh, gay hacken often gaham, I think that, that's how you say that. Is a fave. Do you have any other recommendations? By the way, I don't know what I just said. I don't know what that means either. It means go shit in the ocean. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you, Soph. I'm not very familiar with Yiddish. The Yiddish I know is like Mirveinze Iberleben, which means we will outlive them, which is something that Jews started spontaneously singing and dancing when the Nazis rounded them up. We anti Zionist Jews and people of conscience will outlive all the reactionaries and we will outlive whatever they throw at us. Yiddish insults, what I say to, or insults to Zionists. That's a good one. Um, to be honest, I'm questioning how much I even want to engage with Zionists in general. Like, yeah, it's not worth it really. Yeah. Very good. That's a great fucking point to be honest. Yeah. I mean, they're fascists. Yeah. Period. Zionism is, Settler colonial fascism, yeah. Yeah, do you want to engage with genociders? Like, genocidal fascists? Like, like, they don't care either. It's like, they don't, yeah. I mean, there's definitely ignorant people out there who are like, just don't know what the hell they're doing. And mm. they're like, putting an Israeli flag on their profile picture. And they're not like, mm. they're not like, bloodthirsty. But they yeah. are supporting genocide, you know, effectively. <clears throat> um, But like... You got to know your audience. You got to know the person you're dealing with. Can they be reasoned with? Can yeah. you have an argument in a discussion? Some people, yes. Some people, no. You know. We got another one here. Um, another one from Anarchic Alex, who asks, I know BDS has been called for and supported by many Palestinian groups, but from a communist perspective, isn't it a liberal approach based on consumer activism and international law? Isn't it kind of doomed to fail? So yeah, what do you what do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, it can be if it's put in that framework of like, you know, um, it can be put in that framework. 
mm-hmm. of like human rights and international law. BDS mm-hmm. can be like that, but it's also a, I mean, it's a tangible thing. Like the president of Bolivia just uh, kicked the U- Israeli ambassador out of out of Bolivia. Right. That's BDS right there, and that's yeah. great. That's that's tangible progress. Um, so like full-on boycott, divestment, and sanctions. I don't think that that's necessarily a liberal approach. It it can be, um, it can be a left approach. Um, but yeah, I would say. I mean, there's that, and like follow the lead of Palestinians. Like the vast majority of Palestinians support BDS. Um, you know. That's one thing. It's not the end all be all. BDS is just one tool in the toolkit. Mm-hmm. We have to have a multi-pronged approach that mm-hmm. utilizes everything we can do. Um, but BDS is one of those tools, I think. Also, it's a good it's a good sign that the countries that um where people are doing BDS in, the countries that are like trying to make that elite or not, I don't want to say all the countries, but in America, uh several many states like 20 or 30 or something states have some laws that um, make be doing BDS some version of illegal. So, I mean, and you see how much like, you see how much Zionists like shit their pants over BDS. So I think that that's a good sign period. And I agree with you. Like I'm a, I'm a vegan and I see how many vegans will treat veganism as the end all because they refuse to participate in the consumption of uh, like the consumption of non-human animals um, through food, clothing, so on and so forth in order to, you know, boycott those companies. And I think that that's imperative. I don't think, I think in order to make change in this world, we do have to start with ourselves, not just because of like what we do to the world physically, but also because of our own, like, dare I say, like spiritual elements of, of, of being a revolutionary and trying to change the world. Um, but it's not an end. It's not, it's not it. You can't just do your consumer, uh, stuff and then be like, I did. Wow. This is the way that we changed the world. I just changed my consumption. It's necessary, but it's not the end all be all. And so that's the way that at least I interpret BDS because I do get people trying to push back on me claiming that veganism is some sort of like some sort of liberal movement. It can be this consumer stuff that involves boycotting, right? These movements that involve boycott as a tactic, it can be liberal, but it doesn't have to be liberal. So long as you're doing, like you said, a multi-pronged approach and it's in, and, and then the, the philosophy behind it is, is clear of what is you're trying to accomplish. I think that it's the sanctions far more than the boycott, which is the liberal uh, appeal to international law, as the question said, like it's, it's relying on the international community to do the thing that's moral. And, you know, the, the critique that was being levied by the question, I think kind of sees the, sees the, the power relationships between the international community and Israel and white supremacy and American imperialism and the, the legacy of, of British colonialism and all of this, right. Um, and, and, and it's like, well, then calling for sanctions, who, who's going to do those sanctions? Is it going to be the US? Well, they're not going to sanction Israel. Um, but at the same, but I think that a boycott like um, and divestment, but but then again, also sanctions possibly. Like all of these things are material, like Michael said, right? And it's like the boycott is named after a bunch of people who all hated a landlord called Boy, like whose last name was Boycott so much that they all just stopped interacting with him. They wouldn't serve him in stores. No one would pay their rent. Um, and you know, it worked. They kicked that guy out of town. Like it's, there's a, 
there's a huge material element there and 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 it and it is a thing that works and boycotts have worked again and again and again throughout history um yeah and as like the state of israel relies on a certain amount of um like import export kind of stuff like what you know the biggest export is tech um there's so much stuff that is not produced domestically so they have to get it from overseas and all these kind of things so there are i think um for a nation like israel uh it's it is a nation that could be very tangibly affected by large coordinated boycotts in general it is one of those things that it's like it's so easy to do it's so easy to boycott stuff but um yeah it's obviously not not the limits of our activism but um yeah and it's like also one of those things where it's like in solidarity with you know all the largest kind of palestinian resistance groups they say like this is something that we can do outside of palestine because there's not much you know like we can't like it's as you know like when when things kicked off with russia and ukraine it was like people were just like going over there, you know, like it's, it's not really possible for it to go over to Gaza, like, uh, and except in very strict circumstances to go over and help like on the ground with like mutual aid and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, if this is what they say we can do for them, then it's like a very easy thing to do. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. We have two more questions and we're so close to being out of time. This is from Alexandro Bruxo. Where are these orgs most present in Chicago and what's the best way to stay up to date online? Okay, so I would say follow. So like Jews Against White Supremacy is on Instagram. If you just search Jews Against White Supremacy, you'll find it. And on Facebook, uh, it's Jaws for short. Uh, Jewish Voice for Peace is a good one to follow. Um, I would say like for Palestinian uh, organizations like Palestinian Youth Movement, is a very good one. The U.S. Palestinian Community Network is a good one. In Chicago, we have a JAWS, a Jews Against White Supremacy chapter that's starting, but it's not. It hasn't been formally uh, started yet. But we have like a handful of people, and it's growing. So we're going to start a chapter soon. Jewish Voice, Jewish Voice for Peace, Chicago. You can find them on social media and stay up to date on local things if that's where you're coming from. But JVP has chapters in a lot of places. Um, Jaws is starting to have more and more chapters in a lot of places. So yeah, follow the social media and also contact us on social media and ask about wherever you're locally. And we'll try and see if we can connect you with comrades. Cool. And that actually leads into the next question. And this is for everybody. Um, it's, are you aware of any UK anti-Zionist Jewish orgs? We have a lot of UK viewers. Mm. Yeah. Um, the, the, the big one is Judas. Um, they're, um, they're what's it called Haggadah was great um they're a they're like they're they're a fun bunch as well as being like right on with like their politics um they're a good twitter follow or whatever and then like they are pretty good at sharing resources to get you plugged into more anti-zionist jewish stuff in the uk um and you know corbyn got in a huge trouble for um for uh having dinner with them once so you know you you know that they're good if the british media hates them that much um, yeah judas uh, j-e-w-d-a-s yeah, that's, that's really the one that i've heard of i know there's a it's not i don't know what their position on zionism is they're called not a mode they say they're british jews against mm. the occupation i don't know if they've taken a stance on zionism itself hopefully they oppose it but 
they might just call themselves anti-occupation and not necessarily anti-Zionist. So that's maybe someone, a group to check out and explore more, but I don't, yeah, that's all. That's the limit of my UK knowledge on anti-Zionist Jewish. Yeah. I've only seen one person from Nahmud uh, uh, talk and they said, uh, oh yeah, we're, you know, we want a a two state solution. And this might've just been a clip that was like, taken out of context or just, you know, maybe that person isn't representative of the organization as a whole, but, um, yeah, like, like Michael says, make sure to do your own research. That's always important when uh, having this, uh, and speaking of, um, things that y'all can do, uh, Michael, at the end of every episode, we ask our guests, um, if they have any ideas for homework, they can assign our audience. Our we every every time we have a guest, we give them like an actionable thing or things they can do to kind of follow up with the whole conversation we had today. So, what homework would you like to assign our audience? There's a few things I have in mind. Well, besides the social media stuff, um, there's some books I recommend. But then my I would say the main piece of homework I would give to the audience would be go to bdsmovement.net the BDS website, find a organization there that is listed as one of the targets for BDS and stop and boycott them and stop using their products. Um, At least one, ideally do it with every single one on that list. It's hard though, because there's like Google is on that list and I have like a Google email, but I'm going to, my goal for my homework is to find another email provider because Google's on the list of BDS. Um, so yeah, find one or ideally all of those companies and boycott them. Um, that would be my homework. And then in terms of book recommendations, I've got a few. My friends wrote a book uh, called A Socialist Introduction to Palestine by Sumaya Awad and Brian Bean. It's put out by Haymarket Books. And then I would say to... A book about Hamas that is worth reading is called Hamas Contained by Tarek Bakoni, a Palestinian writer. It's a really good book. Um, It's about Hamas. It's about Palestinian resistance in general, and it's worth a read for sure. So I would say those two books for sure try and try and read. But if you want to just do some homework, BDSmovement.net and follow Palestinians lead and what they're asking you to do. Boycott those companies. And boycott Israeli products. I believe 729 is the barcode of Israeli products. So if you see that. Um, uh, I was wondering about that. I was talking to a friend and I was like, man, I wish it was like some kind of like barcode scanner thing or something. But that's um, 729. That's awesome. then. 729. All right. Yeah. Good to know. That's very good to know. Well, that's awesome. Um, okay. I don't know if you have any last thoughts for us, but um Last thoughts and also where can we find you? Uh, I know that you already mentioned your Instagram, Instagram or your orgs, Instagram, Instagram.com slash Jews against white supremacy. Um, But uh, any last thoughts and uh, do you want to promote anything? Um, Well, you can find me personally on threads. My username is MGberg. So M-G-B-E-R-G-7 on threads. Um, And... um, Last words is just keep up the fight, keep pushing. They're going to throw everything they have at us to try and silence solidarity and uh, the fight against oppression, but we will win. So keep pushing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Um, Michael. Yeah, thanks for coming along on such short notice. Yeah, and this was a fantastic episode. Happy to come back sometime if you ever want me to. 
that would oh, be super. We would love that. Yeah. You're you're great. So yeah, yeah. thank yes. you, Michael. And I hope to see you out there uh, again. Okay. I'll see you out there again. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Michael. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, it's time to remind you all once again that Red Planet is made possible by the support of our patrons over at patreon.com slash red underscore planet where you can support us a bunch of different ways uh what's the first one kira oh the first one is called sprite mode oh um and i'm gonna tell you about that in a second as i just do <laughs> something <laughs> uh sprites uh, are interesting <laughs> i always um, uh, love those little fey creatures they're so cool yes yeah, um uh, yeah. get started with your support for red planet by becoming a sprite benefits include the sacred and forbidden knowledge that you are helping the Red Planet team, early access to VODs, access to the Red Planet Discord, and access to our new podcast. Our mm. new podcast that's that that we're all doing. It's, it's um oh my god, I forgot the name of it all of a sudden. Limited hangouts. The limited hangouts. <laughs> I'm sorry, my head's mostly air, so you know. Limited hangouts. It's a really fun uh, conspiracy theory podcast. Uh, that we've been creating episodes for if you are at any level tier whatsoever even a little adorable little sprite you will have access to this podcast so for as little as two bucks a month or two pounds or three something New uh, three dollars fifty ah close yeah, plus cool. <laughs> but tim could you tell me about the next tier if someone supports a little bit more so the next step up is goblin mode. So that is, uh, what is it? It's $17.50 in, uh, New Zealand, fine New Zealand dollars, uh, $10 a month in American. And it's about, what is it like eight or nine ish <gasps> pounds? It's it? eight pound fifty. Eight pound, eight fifty, yeah, right in the middle. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's the next step up. Uh, everyone loves a goblin. We will get a little goblin mode from time to time. Complete your gobology by going goblin mode with everything from sprite mode, pack of cool red planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only places like that, access to exclusive red planet discord hangouts, supporting us, um, yeah, and all this stuff underneath. So the discord hangouts are separate. To, so there's limited hangouts, which is the podcast, and then there's a discord yeah, we should we should we should clarify this with the um the Discord hangouts is more like um we do like private Discord streams where sometimes it's like watching a you know like a movie or something like that and we'll just hang out and talk about it. Um did a fun one a little while back, me and Kira, where we just we watched a bunch of old Star Trek episodes that had like really, I guess, um there were pretty prescient kind of episodes, like really um intense political themes, and we just kind of like talked about them. And I as a total, you know, like almost almost complete newcomer to Star Trek, um, Kira kind of guided me through and we talked about stuff. And both of us had like additional context to add. Like there was stuff that I knew just like kind of outside of Star Trek that related to stuff that was happening in there. And then there was like stuff that she was about to talk, she was able to talk about with like stuff that referred to, you know, Star Trek as a whole and its kind of setting and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Just like, bit more casual than like a stream um just hanging out and just you know just chilling stuff 
Yeah, yeah. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So that's what that means by the replant Discord Hangouts. So that's Goblin Mode and above. So Sprite Mode, you still get the the limited Hangouts podcast, but Goblin Mode and up, you'll get the actual access to those Hangouts. But um, so what is what's the next step above Goblin Mode? I mean, if you were already a sprite and you became a goblin, you've immediately sized up. And if you just are growing at a, a disgusting rate, you would become a beast. And that's why the next one is called Beast Mode. It costs seventeen pounds. I'm gonna guess it's like twenty dollars yep. and four hundred and twenty New Zealand dollars. And mm-hmm. uh, holy shit, are you actually gonna go thirty four dollars? Holy shit, are you actually gonna go Beast Mode? Well, then we can offer you. All the stuff we've already talked about and pin badges. That's right. Pin badges. Wear your excellent new Red Planet pin badge literally everywhere. It is completely cool and good to do. And those would be all of the tiers if it weren't for some some individuals amongst us, Mule. You know all about these ones. Only you can tell us. <sighs> They're fucking sick. I'm sick of them. Uh, they could, you could be, if you wanted, you could be one of our sickos. Uh, it's a hundred dollars or 85 pound a month or in New Zealand dollars. It... Oh, you're muted, Tim. 172. <laughs> there you Sorry, go. I had to like scroll across <laughs> and also unmute myself at the same time. There we go. Um, and if you support us this much, we can only really reasonably offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers, plus a very special thank you message at the end of each stream. And it goes a little something like this JBP, Nell on Starfire, Queen Pib, Cassie Tastrophe, and Risk in first. Thank you so much for being our sickos thank you so much thank you so much for supporting our show we've also got merch if you're watching the stream it it, it will probably be coming up as modeled by our wonderful incandescently beautiful sophie from mars look at her there you can't ever quite possibly be as hot as her but you could come close if you get one of our shirts from mercenarycreative.com uh they're very very cool for those of you that are listening it says queer existence is resistance and it's got a picture of a popper's bottle with a hanky coming out of it that someone's lighting on fire uh it's like a molotov cocktail it's really cool uh please 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 consider getting our merch we've also got tote bags I cropped my Papa's Molotov shirt now. It's uh, it's cuter now. But oh, you turned it into a crop top. Right I did, yeah. That's so amazing. that's something else you can do. You can't do that to the tote bag, though. All you, your no. shopping will fall out. Well, you can, you can customize your stuff in any way that you want to do. We're not going to stop that's you from true. having a completely useless shopping bag. That's up to you. <laughs> You're your own full person. I mean, under communism, we, we will that. all be wearing uniform shirts to be clear. Once it's, we and they'll all be crop tops with a slutty We will have mandatory crop tops for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, So thank you so much, uh, everyone who supports us and everyone who's about to go support us right now over at patreon.com slash red underscore planet or buy our merch at mercenarycreative.com. But I have a really important question for Tim. Where can people, and by people I mean Tim heads, the best people that there are, uh, find more Tim online? Uh, You can find me here on Twitch or um, over on YouTube as Conquest of Dread. Or you can find me on Twitter and Blue Sky as Dread Conquest. Um, yeah, I haven't really been streaming much outside of the stream for a long time because I've been way too busy. Do want to get back at it though. But um, yeah, otherwise, just follow me for for spicy tweets from uh, Twitter. We've got um, 
Don't yeah, forget, but... don't forget Tim spicy remixes, specifically ice spicy remixes. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't remix that. I just I oh, okay. Like the like, there's a really um, there's a great great video that um, a friend of mine sent me after I posted. I posted a um, Hamas fan cam that I made. Well, actually, I so I made that. I made the um, inspired <laughs> yeah. by the old, um, you know, like new metal AMVs that you used to get back in the day yes. um, with Deftones uh, with tanks blowing up and stuff like that. But then a friend sent me a remix of um, it's like Ice Spice mixed with the PFLP's um, Razor Red Banner. And it just like slaps so hard. It goes hard. so like, hard. It's great. One of those mashups that is just like, you know, like, how did this happen? Like, it this works is really well. It and it's from so like a couple well. months ago as well. Like, it's not like super recent. Soph, what about where can we find more? Where can real, real Soph heads find more? <laughs> more about you? Uh, yeah. I'm, well, all my stuff is at linkture.ee slash Sophie from Mars um i am on twitter unfortunately i'm also on blue sky i'm on tumblr and instagram and my main thing is i make videos on youtube that are video essays that discuss theory uh politics and philosophy uh, i'm working on a couple of my episodes of my series monster men at the moment which is about monster stories where they come from what they mean and why we tell them um i'm also getting back into twitch i did have a little bit of a burnout i was not uh streaming for a minute uh, but I've I've gotten back on the liberal slop stream. People seem to be enjoying it a lot where we look at uh, publications that produce liberal slop that helps to reinstate and reinforce the liberal hegemony. Uh, we've been reading a lot of praise of Keir Starmer from the New Statesman. Uh, we had a fun one earlier today. I've also, um, just today, and I'm probably going to do some more of this, been um, getting back into Shadow of the Colossus speedrunning because my girlfriend has a, um, an original PS2 and I was like, oh shit, Shadow of the Colossus time. And now, oh, yeah. now I'm like, okay, I can actually play a game on stream again. Um, uh, but yeah, everything is at linktree.ee slash Sophie from Mars. Uh, my Patreon is also there, so you can see my work early when it's done. Um, there's some stuff up early there now, in fact. Anyway, um, linktree.ee slash Sophie from Mars to find all the stuff in one place. But is there a convenient way to find all the stuff in one place for Kira Chats? Oh, there is actually, I also have a link tree. It's linktra.ee slash Kira Chats. Um, but if you want to just, you know, hang out with me, me, um, the, the three places I'm, you can find me the most, my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Kira Chats. I stream five days a week. We're going to stream tomorrow. I'll talk about the news and play some video games. We're still playing Baldur's Gate 3. We're in Act 3. And I really enjoy the game. I'm not a nerd, but I really enjoy the game. But I'm not a nerd, so it's fine. Um... So Twitch.tv not a nerd. Twitch.tv slash Kira Chats. You can also hang out with me on Discord, discord.gg slash Kira Chats. I'm always on there. Um, it's a really good time. I recommend joining, especially if you want to have like a chill space with anti-Zionists, like anti-fascists. We watch movies and all sorts of stuff. It's fun. And then the third place you can find me is my Blue Sky? I mean, like, I'm on Twitter because of necessity. Like, I'll still post things here and there. I do want to show some vocal support for Palestinians, but it's such a... Ooh, that place is a mess. So um, most of my social media is um, Blue Sky. So you can find me at... Uh, my Blue Sky is kirachats.bsky.social. And just letting you know, if you don't have an account for Blue Sky because you don't have an invite code, 
join my Discord, discord.gg slash chats. We give them out all the time to people. We just have to vouch them that you're not some like obnoxious lib or something. You know, if you hang out with us and you're chill and you want to code, we need more cool people on Blue Sky. I mean, there's a lot of people, but I want I want people to have a, a refuge from Twitter and be able to still post. Um, so join my Discord and ask for an invite code. Um, yeah. But Mule. Where can yes. I find my 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 sweet little peanut? I want a peanut butter jelly sandwich immediately. How can I obtain one? Yeah, well, um, that's on uh, that's on a website I can't tell you about. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, if you want to see more of me, well, oh wow, you could go on linktree.ee forward slash DJ Mule and um, help me out. Watch my new video. My new video is done really, really badly, um, and it is actually really, really good. And I'm not just saying that. It's it's pretty it's pretty fucking good. It's about how TikTok Live is really bad, and there's just a load of bad people on there, uh, and we have a little bit of a laugh at those people and talk about why they're bad so if you want a bit of a like relaxed uh but also kind of serious but also kind of funny but also kind of not funny video to chill out with while you're watching eating your cereal or whatever um then you could go over there to my youtube and find that also go to patreon.com forward slash dj mule and give me money uh if you're listening to the show on our podcast then it's dj m-u-e-l um and that's all i really gotta stay like like subscribe to red planet because i'm editing the new zad documentary that uh is going to come out very very soon and uh, i don't know if we're going to be releasing it widely i think it's just going to be for patrons but um it's really really good and i can say that firsthand because i'm making it and also so is everybody else it'll be for patrons first but Um, we will be releasing it later there you go there's the clarification that i wanted thank you sophie um sophie's voice uh sophie's face uh sophie went to france and did all the correspondence stuff it's amazing uh but also kira's voice my voice tim's voice it's all going to be in there it's going to be a, a huge amazing project very excited for it uh so yeah support me uh by supporting the show i guess so there you go bye we'll see you next time fingies fingies whoa Yeah, what a show. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV, and there's even more on our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Comrade Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week!